I was sitting with Joshua at the cafeteria, Joshua and Nicolas Kimeli, the day before the finals. I was like, hey guys, I have a medal in this race. I don't know what you guys can do. I don't know what will happen, but just know I'm going home with a medal. That's it. As you heard in the intro, we've got the great Paul Chilimo at the end of the podcast. Talks about getting the only American male distance medal at the Tokyo Olympics and a lot more. Finishing in lane four at the Olympic trials, nearly coming to blows with Nicholas Camelli in 2019, his new YouTube channel. You need to listen to Paul. But that means it's an extra long podcast and it gets through it. You need electrolytes without the junk. You got to try Drink Element today. Go to drinklmnt.com slash let's run. Link in the show notes and you can try a free sample pack, six different flavors for only $5 shipping. I will refund your money if you don't like it, but don't take my word on it. Everyone's taking advantage of this offer. Let's run podcast listener Jamie writes, I ordered the element sample pack you've been mentioning using the let's run code. And it's a total game changer for after runs in the heat. The flavors are really unique, and I've recommended it to a few other people who have also ordered via the Let's Run promo. I'll definitely be looking to get more. I usually just chug water after runs and feel like shit, and it makes sense now why this is the case. So try it today. Here's the pod. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Let's Run.com Track Talk Podcast. September is upon us. Track season is almost over, but not quite. And we have a ton to discuss in a jam-packed episode. The much-anticipated Shelby Houlihan CAS decision has been published. We'll break it all down. The half-marathon world record has gone down again. The legendary 24-hour world record has also been broken over the weekend. Poker NAZ Elite is signed to Kenyon. Jenny Simpson is moving to the roads. Molly Seidel has received some training advice from a fan. We have a Diamond League on Friday in Brussels that we'll do a little preview of. Sha'Carri Richardson is running there. And we're joined as a guest by two-time Olympic medalist Paul Chalimo of the United States. He'll be on at the end of the podcast. I'm Jonathan Gold. I'm joined by the co-founders of Let's Run.com, my bosses, Robert and Welton Johnson. Gentlemen, a pleasant September morning to you. Afternoon, I guess. Good day, John. Good day. And hey... Paul Chilimo, the only guy interesting in the sport these days. Only medalist for men in the distance running. Gotta pump him up, John. Always a good interview. We've not spoken to him yet, so I can't say what great things he said, but Paul's always a great talk. I don't think he was the only medalist. I think he was the only American medalist at the Olympics. I think some other people did win medals, like Joshua Cheptegei, Jacob Ingebrigtsen, if I stand corrected. Guys, I'm glad to be here. Let's run.com co-founder Robert Johnson. Remember, unlike Facebook, unlike Twitter, if you want to reach us, pick up the phone, 844-LET'S-RUN, 844-538-7786. I feel like we need to make a few corrections from last week's podcast. I realized when we were breaking down the Prefontaine Classic, we hardly spent any time talking at all about the great Authing Mo. I mean, she dominates the race, sets an American record. We don't even mention it just because we expect her to do that. So... 
Robert, you clearly don't listen to the very end of the podcast. Weldon and I realized our mistake. And once you left the podcast, we actually broke down her accomplishment. And we're talking about whether it was the greatest season ever by an American middle distance runner. So we did give her some love. Okay, good. I had to leave the show a little bit early. And I also wanted to get into the fact, maybe we should, I thought we were going to spend most of the show breaking down Karsten Warholm's 45.51 guy. Can't even break 45 flat. He's a has-been. But you guys said, apparently, you've already talked about this as well. I was on vacation on Friday. and missed the Friday 15. Yeah, Robert, there's something you may have heard of. You just mentioned it. It's the Friday 15. It's our exclusive subscribers-only podcast. Minimum of 15 minutes. Often it's quite a bit longer. On Fridays, uh, usually previewing meets or, in this case, recapping a meet that took place on Thursday. You can only get that by joining the Let's Run Supporters Club. So if you want that, if you want access to exclusive articles, discounts on shoes, a great T-shirt, you can get all that and more by joining the Let's Let's Run.com Supporters Club at letsrun.com slash subscribe. And this week's Friday 15 is going to be amazing because we have Brussels Diamond League. So we will break that down in great detail. And folks, I know a lot of you are on the fence. You haven't quite pulled the trigger on signing up, but you should. I know some of you don't want to give your money to me. Yours truly, Robert Johnson. I'm annoying. I talk too much, etc. So I've got an offer for you. Jonathan Galt's car is broken down, folks. He needs a new car. Break job is like $2,000 and the car's only worth $2,000. So everyone who subscribes in the next week, 100% of the money will go to Jonathan Galt. Sign up for the Jonathan Galt Car Fund right now. Let's run.com slash subscribe. John, any hints of what type of car are we going to get? Are you going to get a woke electric car? My next car will be electric, I think. I just want something that is not going to break down. I don't drive that much. I, I just want it to be reliable. Ideally, good gas mi- mileage. I haven't even. I didn't consider electric, but I don't know. I, I'd be doing my part for the environment, but I also feel like it's inconvenient. So I, I don't know. I haven't really started the process of looking into it. I should probably get on that. But people don't want to hear about that. They want to talk hear about us talk track. And the biggest news today, Shelby Houlihan case is out. We've been waiting for this for months. The CAS still hasn't released its decision in the Alberto Salazar case, which was heard in March. But the Houlihan decision, which, you know, the brief decision came out in June, right before the Olympic trials. It's now September, and they have released the full 44-page decision and their justification for banning her from the sport for four years. I've read it all. I think we haven't had a lot of time. We've been busy this morning, but you guys have sort of read some of the key takeaways. Do you have any sort of first... I mean, Robert, what's your immediate takeaway from this decision being published? My immediate takeaway is I was going to ask you what you thought. Since okay. you've read all 40 pages, I've only read 20, but I'll, I'll, I'll start. I've read about half of it. To me, it doesn't really change anything. I, I think some people are reading it on Let's Run on the message board and saying, clearly, see, clearly she's guilty. To me, the part that I've read and talking to you about you reading the whole thing, it doesn't. it hasn't changed my opinion on this case at all. I mean, I was reading it early on and they said, you know, the, the odds of an uncastrated boar or a certain type are at least one in 10,000. And they use that as proof that she, she doped. And the fact that it's extremely unlikely that she got pig meat in this sandwich when she ordered steak and then it had enough nandrolone, that doesn't dissuade me. You guys hear that siren folks? I'm in the midst of a tornado warning here. 
Keep going, keep going, Robert. My phone says to go to the lowest level of the house immediately and seek shelter. I am in the lowest level of the office building. Should I? There's a closet, though, that has the shirts in it. Should I go in there? If I die on air, it'll be epic. Wait, tornado warning or hurricane warning? It says tornado warning. Oh, you probably should do something. But if you're already in the lowest part of the house, what else are you going to do? Just Well, I could get away from the window. That's what I'm saying. I go into the closet with the shirts. If I am killed on air and on tape, can you make it subscribers only, like $250 a piece? And all money oh, goes Robert really wants me to get a new car, huh? <laughs> no, that's for the Clayton Johnson Scholarship Fund. If you want to watch me die, that's a special add-on addition to the membership. Well, we hope that it doesn't come to that. But Robert... Anyways, I was saying it doesn't change much. So one in 10,000. I've said this before. What if this is a one in 500,000, one in a million? I don't think it's very likely that... You go to the food truck and you happen to eat enough pig offal that it happens. But I think it could happen. And the fact of the matter is the world anti-doping does about 300,000 doping tests a year. So if you're just randomly going to go out to eat and one in a million times going to be tested positive and lose your livelihood, I don't think that's a good thing. And I think that the system needs to be changed. And as a result, I would, what I really would like to do is have Travis Tiger on the podcast, the head of U.S. anti-doping. He thinks that the food supply chain in this, pro- in this country is a problem. I would like to know how often does he think, why does Jerry and Lawson get out? Why do Ajay Wilson, if, they had been, if, if these same people had been writing that report, would they have used the same type of stats? Or is this for some reason much less likely than Ajay Wilson or Jerry and Lawson, who were both cleared, by the way? I think... In this case, it is a bit less likely, uh, you know, looking at the facts, I read, you know, I read a lot about the Jerry and Lawson case. There wasn't as much available about the RJ Wilson case, but we know Jerry and Lawson, like Trembolone is a substance that is commonly used in the U.S. food supply system. The issue in that one was in order for his defense to hold water, the Trembolone would have had to be injected a different way, a way that did not follow the actual, you know, prescribed method. And that's, whereas in in this case, I think it's much more likely that, sorry, much less likely that Nandrolone is, you know, showing up in the U.S. food supply. But less likely doesn't mean zero. And I think you're right, Rob. I mean, basically, when this case first was announced, you had to either believe an extraordinarily unlikely set of circumstances that Houlihan not only was unlucky enough to eat some meat from an uncastrated pig, but that she also got this despite ordering a carne asada burrito. Just there's a whole cascading set of circumstances which makes it seem quite unlikely. But then the other situation is, okay, she's taking oral nandrolone, which is not an effective way to take nandrolone. And she's doing this in December and she's a distance runner. All of that is like, that seems pretty unlikely to me as well. John, you, you, you kind of made that point a little bit more succinctly to me off air. You said, which is more unlikely, the fact that she got ate this pig, one in 10,000, one in 100,000, or that, an, that a distance runner would be taking oral nandoline in December? Because that doesn't make a lot of sense either. So I thought that was a good one. And one other difference in the, in the Jerry and Lawson case in this case is Christian Ayet was caught sort of I would say lying under oath in the Jerry Lawson case, at the very minimum misstating her case. I don't understand 
why she wasn't suspended that if we're going to hold athletes to this absolute standard of you can't have this in your system for any reason, then we need to hold anti-doping authorities to that same type of standard. She was a key figure in this case. I've argued that's a good enough reason for me to let Miss Houlihan off here because, you know, if you're not going to punish your own, then we don't need them punishing other people. Um, that doesn't mean that it's not do – I, do I think it's possible that she doped Rogue? Do I think it's her master doping plan in the Nike Oregon Project? I mean, Bowerman Tri Club? No. But do I think it's possible she doped on her own? Yeah, I do think it's possible. But there's one other thing actually about this case that makes me think that she's much less likely to have doped that would make me want to ignore this positive test. And it's the fact that she wouldn't wear the carbon fiber plates. Maybe this shouldn't have a big impact in the court of law, but it definitely has a big impact on the court of public opinion. And this actually is in the case. She's like, this is a woman who would not wear the carbon fiber plates. She didn't want these people to think these shoes contributed to her American record attempt in the 5,000. She wanted people to think she earned it on her own. So if you're doing that, why in the hell would you dope? It would be the ultimate, like, humble brag to try to not wear the shoes, but then actually secretly be taking steroids behind the scene. Do you think it's an elaborate plan? So th that's a personal anecdote. It may not have an impact on the case, but I did find that actually to be convincing. Yeah. I mean, after reading the whole 44 page decision, the science is not on her side here. You know, she presented some arguments, but there's a reason why CAS ruled the way it did is because she has to b prove beyond a balance of probability that the reason why she tested positive was because of contaminated meat that had the nandrolone in her sample. And that's how it got there. That's very difficult to do. And I think most people who felt she was guilty, this is going to be ultimate proof. Yes, look, these scientific experts, they don't buy her situation. They're saying it's extremely unlikely that the nandrolone could have gotten her system in this way. I would say, yes, it's unlikely. It's not impossible. And they, you know, I tend to believe, I still tend to believe that she's innocent. CAS panel said this, you know, time and again. They said, yeah, okay, it's possible, but not likely. Possible, but not likely at the end. The problem is when you get in a situation like this, let's say her story is true. It's very, very difficult to actually prove that. Jerry Lawson, the only reason he was cleared really was because he was able to show that Christiane Ayotte, who was also a witness in this case, provided misleading testimony. If she hadn't done that, I don't know if his his case would have been overturned. It's just, it's very tough. And that's why I think one of the issues I'm kind of worried about here is the science isn't on her, on her side, but that's because we don't have a lot of tests about this specific situation, about you're taking someone who's eating this amount of meat and it might be contaminated by nandrolone, but we're not totally sure. Like, the scientists are doing their best stuff with the evidence on hand, but we don't have a lot of specific evidence that ties into this specific case. And that's why I think it can be tough to make a ruling on and tough to also prove your innocence if that's actually what happened. Okay, John, I do have one other sort of scientific question. A couple people, including a former WAD employee, did testify on Shelby's behalf, right? So they thought it's possible she could have been innocent, from my understanding. But they kept arguing that there should have been some pharmacokinetic study done on the second on the B sample because she was claiming this was a pig sample and this would help determine it. Is it I don't understand that. Can someone tell me exactly, do we know exactly what that test is? And if it would have, could that have possibly proved innocence or guilt? Because in my opinion, they should run that test on, why don't they just run that test 100% of the time? Or is it really, really expensive? Because to me, if there's any test that could have been done to give us more clarity, 100% when you're talking about an athlete of this caliber, it needs to be run, particularly when they're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on lawyer fees, both sides. Yeah, this was a big 
point of contention in Houlihan's defense is that they're saying in certain specific cases, when some of the testing numbers from her sample are above certain thresholds or below certain thresholds, and she appeals saying, I think this could be a potential port contamination case, the lab is supposed to run this extra test because the initial tests they have, you know, they can't definitively determine the source of the nantrolone in her system. And well, the, the lab, AIU lab, sorry, the lab that they used in Montreal did not perform this test. And they were saying she wasn't, the lab director, Christiane Ayotte, wasn't following the correct procedures here. And Christiane Ayotte said she actually was, and that some of these criteria were met, but there was one number in particular, she said, that proved that wasn't actually the case and that the test that she conducted was good enough to convict because that one number wasn't in line. And I'd have to look up exactly which one that was. But it does seem strange to me that this, basically they were saying, well, the guidelines say that this test should be conducted, but it's not saying that the test must be conducted. So we didn't conduct it. That to me kind of steps off my smell detector. Like, why wouldn't you test this and get more information either way? It doesn't really make sense why they wouldn't conduct the test, especially after Houlihan specifically asked them to. Right, agreed. And the, the labs and the anti-doping people need to re- remember, remember, their goal is not to bust people with something in their system. Their goal is to catch dirty athletes. Now, the way the system is set up, pretty much the athletes just can't have this stuff in the system, or if they do, it's on the burden uh, is on them to explain it away, which creates a lot of problems if it is a pure contamination case. It's very hard to prove, but... Once you're at the level of charging someone with one of the, these crimes, I think it should be mandatory. Run all these tests, run whatever tests, especially Shelby side, like they can't go get it run independently on their own. I guess they're not allowed to touch the sample, but that seems crazy to me. Like just the basics of jurisprudence. It's like, oh, hey, we can run a DNA test. Oh, it doesn't, you know, we won't do the DNA match because it doesn't meet all the technical criteria. No, they should have done this. But the one thing... I'm also not getting is like everyone's assuming it's got to be pork or something else. And other people are like, look, maybe she could have this in there from a tainted supplement. There's lots of other ways you could have this in there and not be a doper. So the Bowerman, because the other thing people are pointing out is Courtney Frerick said, like, I had the same burrito. We all ordered the same burrito. So they're like, detractors of Shelby are like, well, if Shelby tested positive from the fake, from, I was about to say fake burrito, but from the pig burrito why wouldn't courtney i have a great answer to that well because courtney wasn't texted at 6 a.m the next morning the whole the argument of houlihan is that she got exceedingly unlucky because if it was endogenous nandrolone it would have been out of her system very quickly you know within a day or two and they tested her right at the perfect window where it lines up with a, a number that is positive test and their argument is this is exactly how much it would have been in our system if she'd eaten beef from the night before. And AIU doesn't buy that argument. But Frerichs, if she was tested three days later, it would have been out of her system if she did ingest this. And the other thing was, that's a good point, John, because she wasn't tested the next day. The other thing is, though, the, the pig thing to have this in there, they haven't done a lot of studies on this. So they're like, oh, you know, this is way more pig than would have to be castrated. There's so few studies done on this. Like I'm not, I'm open to the possibility. Like she didn't take this intentionally. And if that's the case, I don't think she should be banned. 
I'm not sure it's from the pigs, but this whole thing really hasn't changed it for me. I'm back to reading, you know, the message board post about the guy talking about during COVID, the corn, the pigs weren't fed corn because the beef supply chain, pork supply chain was messed up. It's crazy. Some of these conspiracy theories people go down, but I'm open to the possibility. But now what? The burden's on Shelby? The thing I don't get is Nike will drop millions of dollars on Alberto Salazar in his defense. And from what I understand, Shelby's on her own. It's like, you're responsible, you go pay. And I don't know. What about the Bowerman empowering women, all this other stuff? It's like, oh, an athlete test positive, boom, we're gone. Like, sorry, you're dirty. If, if, if her teammates are standing behind her, I mean, they have the resources to do whatever they want. A million dollars for Nike is like five cents for me or you, John. Well, let me say a few things here. One, back to Fryerix. There's a second reason why she may not have tested positive. One, she didn't get tested within the time frame. And two, remember, they got a, we're alleging here that she got a different burrito than the one they ordered. So she may, they may have only screwed up one of the three burritos or maybe they picked up another person's order. So just it may not have been pork in her burrito. That's another reason. So there's, there's two good reasons there. Um, yeah, it's very expensive to, to do an appeal like this. That's for sure. I mean, I was already thinking about it. Who's paying for this? Hundreds of thousands of dollars, I would assume, in lawyer's fees if you're really going to keep pushing this. So that's tough. I mean, I talked to someone close to this case and you know, WADA has it set up now that you're responsible for anything that gets in your system. And it kind of, in a way, it's it's a safety net. I, I get it for two reasons. One, it's good because, you know, it's, if you're a clean sport, you don't want people making up made, made excuses. But also it gives WADA a safety net because it's like, well, the burden's on you, not on us. And I don't really think it's right. Like, the more I think about it, my general thought in this case is, you know, I kind of said at the top of the show is, if people are just going to go out and once in a hundred thousand times eat something in America and then end up being tested positive, I don't think that's right. We either need to tell them not to eat certain stuff or change the test because yes, it's extremely unlikely, but again, they're doing 300,000 tests a year. So that, you know, they keep saying extremely unlikely. No shit. I've already admitted it extremely unlikely. It doesn't mean it didn't happen. So I think we should move on and talk about something else. I do want to say one last thing about the Shelby case. Okay. <laughs> Two funny things. One, you know, I, I think that, well, I probably shouldn't say this, but Rojo's known for not having his filter. Actually, can I say this only to the subscribers? I'll take 10 seconds here to say this just to the subscribers. But there was one other thing that I thought was, I don't know about this case. You know, they had statements. Actually, it's actually, actually interesting. Matthew Sintowicz, who was her boyfriend at the time, was there when she, when she got the notice of the positive test. And he said he could tell she was devastated. He, this is, I mean, to tell the times, he thought she tested positive for COVID-19. So you know, he's like, imagine being you're like your boyfriend, oh shit, she tested positive for COVID-19. Oh no, it's actually way worse than that. So that's just a little bit of human interesting. But there was a statement from Sintowitz in here, and I just thought this statement was ridiculous. You know, her teammates and stuff made nice statements about how she wouldn't take shortcuts, She's ext- And I do think that matters. Like she won't wear the carbon plates, et cetera. We talked about that, but this statement from Centrowitz, I thought was ridiculous. It says Matthew Centrowitz, you know, says she doesn't take shortcuts, blah, blah, blah. Moreover, just like himself, she comes from a family of athletes and runners. And so she knows the right way to do things. and would never do anything that would negatively affect, reflect negatively on her family. So I just thought this was a dumb argument by Centrowitz. Like, because you come from a family of runners, that they would never do anything bad. No, like 
I'm sure there's family of boxers or NFL players that the father doped and then the son dopes. If they actually, if the parents dope, then it's more likely that the son's going to dope. So I don't know. I, I didn't like that argument. All right. Enough Shelby talk. Back to this world record, John. How many have we seen? Someone broke it. What was it? <laughs> yeah. So the old world record was, oh, was it 6402 or 6401? I think it was 6402 by Ruth Chepengedich earlier in April this year. And it was actually smashed. Yelimzov Yahuwah who is the bronze medalist at the world half in 2020, she runs 6344 at the Antrim Coast Half Marathon in Northern Ireland. It's the first sub 64 clocking in the women's half marathon. And it's the third time in the last 19 months, the fifth time in the last five years that this record has been broken. John, can you please say the name again? We're going to have our Ethiopians make sure you say this correctly, our Ethiopian visitors. Please repeat her name. Uh, Yalamzov Yahuwalor. Uh, I'm not sure if that's perfect pronunciation, but I feel like you know she's becoming more prominent. After she got the bronze at World Half, I'm like, okay, I'm going to have to know low how to pronounce her name. So uh, hopefully I did an okay job. Well, there's no way I could pronounce it. But yeah, I mean, women are running 63 for the half marathon. That's crazy because we've only had... Well, eight women counting Yalomzerf, which I can't say, under 65. And super shoes are not like 6344 is fast. I mean, really fast. Um, oh, but, uh, it's ins- it's crazy. It's well, all right. Here's this to put this in perspective it is faster than American record pace for the 10,000 meters. Molly Huddle's American record is 3013 on the track. And to run 63.44 in the half marathon, which is more than double the distance, you would have to run 30.12 10K pace. So it is phenomenally quick. Wow. That's crazy. Wait, John, that's an amazing stat. Why didn't you add that to the week that was? I had a, I had a, a point in the week that was this week about the half marathon. And one of the things I brought up is like, I'm trying to tell people, who is this woman? And like a lot of people, people are just going straight to the roads, but she's never run a marathon. She's hardly ever raced on the track. Um, she's only 22. She's kind of been a half marathon specialist. She's got third world half. She won Delhi one year. Got, she got second another year. But what I put in there, she did run her first European track race this year. She ran the Hengelo 10,000 trials. So her time there, she ran 30-20, got lapped by Gaudet in her world record run. At the very end, it's, if you actually watch the clip, which is in the week that was, you see her at the very end lapping the eventual half marathon world record holder. So she runs 30-20. Now she's going twice the distance at the same speed. Really impressive stuff. She also did run a 5,000 four days later, ran 14.53. So where do you guys think she's going to go from here? Is she just going to be up to the marathon? Or do you think she'll try to run the track next year in Eugene? Well, I think I think she'll – yeah, actually, well, next year. That's an interesting question, actually. I don't know. I would go to the, I would go to the marathon. You're going to get a big – if you're the half marathon world record holder – You'll get a nice appearance fee. If you look at the last few women to hold this record, I mean, Jocelyn Jip Cosguy was the well, uh, the New York City Marathon champion in 2019. And then more recently, the woman whose record she broke, Ruth Chevin Gedich, world champion in 2019. So I kind of think the marathon's where it's at, especially, but I mean, I don't know. We're also a little skewed. And here's the thing. What's she going to do? She got lapped by G'day. I mean, is she going to beat G'day? Is she going to beat... Safan Hassan in the 10,000? I don't think so. I think if you really want, you know, you can win a major marathon, but 
if you want to be the absolute best in the on the track, that's going to be really, really hard. I think the the roads is probably where it's at for her. Yeah, you you make an interesting point there because, and, I, and I've talked about this before, but in the marathon, there's what six majors, right? You know, so you can be the sixth. Well, they're not all. Well, they're not all in the same season. Well, I guess this year they're all six. So this this fall, you could be the sixth best marathoner in the world and still win a major. Whereas if you're the sixth best person in the ten thousand, you're really not making any money. So for an African, particularly, it makes a lot more sense to go to the marathon, which actually is making it easier for the Americans to medal on the track, because I think you know only the from a financial standpoint, only the very best Africans really probably are going to stay in the track, whereas most of the Americans are making most of their endorsement money from their shoe contract. Yeah, it's well, it's still going to be tough for America. If, um, if Ethiopia this year had three women better than her in the 10K, it's still going to be pretty hard to break that up. But I have, I have a question for you guys here. So the top 15 times in history have, in the women's half marathon have all been run since the start of 2017. Clearly, Super Shoes is affecting this event even more than the other events, which we've seen men's half marathon, full marathon. And I'm curious, this record was taken well below 64 minutes is this it are we going to is this record going to stick around for a while because it's been taken down now quite a bit it was 64 51 as recently as 2020 are we now going to stay where it is or is it going to go down even further in the income you know in the next year or two i think it's still got to come down i mean as crazy as that sounds but when i saw the record was broken it didn't really move the needle that much now Maybe I should be more familiar with her, what she's done. I mean, what, world half bronze. But to me, that doesn't signal, oh, this is the greatest talent right now. Now, she's young, so maybe, you know, she starts smashing great marathon times. We'll say, oh, she was the Tedeschi of her generation and a half. No one's going to touch that record. But she's about as obscure of a world championship medalist you can be with a world half bronze. In fact, she breaks the world record, sort of crushes it. I'm like, wait till we get someone who's better than her to do it. But having said that, she may just be perfectly suited for the half marathon. This is her, the top five times in history now. She's got three of them. And she's only 22 years old. Clearly, she's a monster talent. But I would like to see, I mean, the thing is, Perez Jepchirchir, I think she's the one who, you know, really take a crack at a fast half marathon, see what she can do. She was the world half marathon champ last year. She's the Olympic marathon champ, but she might be more focused on the marathons and, you know, running those halves as sort of tune-ups rather than taking a real run at a fast half marathon personal best. So who knows if she'll get another opportunity this, you know, this year or next year to do it, but a very impressive run. Absolutely. I mean, the times are just getting so fast. Pretty much the same thing's true in the men's side. Top six times are in the last two years. I mean, the men's the top four were all from one race. Four guys broke 58 minutes. I mean, that's crazy, actually. The only times ever under 58 minutes on the men's side are under in one race. Um, that's crazy, right? You break the old world record and you get fourth place. So I, I just think this is super shoes. For we need a shoe expert to tell us why are the times coming down more in the half marathon than even the marathon or or it seems to me super shoes are having a bigger effect. Now maybe the marathon, there's more fatigue, that sort of stuff. So you're just not going to see the one-to-one performance advantage. Whereas, uh, you know, the marathon, you, you can run pretty, the half marathon, you can run pretty close to your max 
every single time. There's less variability. Boom, you improve somebody two to three percent. It's gonna you're gonna see the results. I also think they're just going for it, right? Like in the years past, the half marathon world record was like fifty eight twenty three by Tedesse, and people just might have been like, "Nah, that's you know, I'm not close to that. I'm not gonna even try it." Now people are seeing, "Hey, it's getting broken all the time." I'm going to, and you've got races like Valencia who are putting a bunch of people in it and ta- specifically targeting the record. Latesa and Betguide is making a half marathon debut next month in Valencia. And this is absolutely, I'm going to be a, ta- I bet it's going to be a target for some of the women in that race. When you see that race and you actually make a real target of going after it, you're going to get more records that way as well. It's interesting, John, you're curious about will it last? Because if you convert it to the marathon, it's 213, 20 something which obviously is significantly faster than the 214.01 what, marathon world record, which seems really hard to beat. But then if you convert it down, according to the school athletic scoring tables, it's only 29.25 for 10,000, which has already been smashed by women. So um, I was going to say it was going to last a while, but I, I mean, if you actually look up good days, 44.20. Oh, my God. So, Gaudet famously ran the 44.20 15K. That equates to 63.07, according to the scoring tables. Yeah, if I had to bet, I would say that this world record will be broken within two years. But I still I don't think that should detract. In, I mean, sub-64... 30-12 pace. For t- I mean, it's it's a terrific piece of running. So I think we're going to see the first sub-14, 5,000. First sub-29, 10,000. I think we're definitely going to see a 213 marathon. The question is, can we see a 212? This is pretty amazing to think about. <laughs> oh, my God. I don't think any woman's going to break 63 minutes in the half anytime soon. All right. Shall we talk about the, the men's world record that fell? The 24? Do we want to talk about... Alexander Sorokin of Lithuania, a little ultra marathon talk. Our fans of the let's run.com may remember two years ago, we had an exploration of the ultra marathon sponsored by Hoka One One. And in that the brain trust at let's run Robin and Weldon determined that the great, or okay. Weldon is shirking responsibility here. He's giving it over to to Robert that the mo- the greatest world record in all of ultra marathoning was Giannis Koros's 24-hour world record. And that has been broken by Alexander Sorokin of Lithuania, who ran 188.68 miles in Poland over the weekend, took down Koros's record from 1997. Robert has a great Q&A with Koros on the website right now. That And just to put that into context, because 188 miles in one day, it sounds absurd. It's a long distance. We know that. It's 729-mile pace. For an entire day. That includes breaks. It includes rest. I don't think he slept, but that is pretty crazy. Because 729, that's not... I mean, Robert, how many? How long could you hold 729 pace for right now? This guy did it for 24 hours straight. Probably about 5K, unfortunately. And this guy's old. He's like 39, 41 years old. It's not like he's some young spring chicken. So super impressive. Yeah, so a couple years ago, you know... I'm feeling a little bit like I wrote a piece on let's run. I said the sub two hour marathon probably would never happen in my lifetime. And Kipchoge did it within five years. But what I meant was in the old shoes on a legitimate course, I still don't think that's going to happen in my lifetime. 
if, if he had someone wearing regular flats. But this one, yeah. Why did I call it the greatest record? Because first of all, the event sells itself. How far can you run in a day? I mean, because they also have two-day world records, six-day world records. They have individual course records. But in the ultra scene, it's hard to compare the course records because they're not standard distances, standard surfaces, et cetera. So I like this record. And this record was so far out there. I mean, Coors had the top nine performances. Nobody else had come within a half marathon of this. And then it gets beat by, what, about by, by about 5K? Is that right, John? And yeah, the, the numbers I had here, sorry, 188.68 miles. That was actually Koros's old record. So the new record is 192.25 miles. So he broke it by, you know, more than five kilometers. And then the second place finisher, Andre Chechik of the Ukraine ran 295 kilometers. So he wasn't, he was the third best performance in history. So pretty shocking. Um, I mean, Sorokin you know, he already had the 100 mile world record. This guy is legit, but nobody had come close to this. And, you know, immediately after the thing though, I said like, look, I don't think this record would have broken without the super shoes. Now that's up for debate, obviously, because, but just my, my take on it is, and I did, I did point in the stats that he broke course record by 2%, which is a greater increase than what we've seen in the men's marathon. And the super shoe era in the men's marathon has only come down by 1.1%. It was 202.57. Now it's 201.39. But what I didn't add into the week that was, was if you look at Kipchoge, I mean, he's come down, his, his marathon PR before the super shoes was 204. And now it's 201.39. So I think that the percentage basis on the shoes is greater than 1.1% for the marathon. I think for Kipchoge, it's probably about two minutes. So imagine if you're being helped by two minutes, you know, in a two-hour race, how much are you going to be helped by in a 24-hour race? So I just think that without the shoes, he wouldn't do it. And also, the shoes allow you to be, run the whole thing on a road. When when Coro set his record, he ran it on a track, which is obviously softer on your on your thing. The wear and tear on your body isn't as bad is the road, but the road's faster. So the fact that the super shoes lets you run on the road is also beneficial. One thing we knew, do need to point out here, and I don't want to say this was short or anything like that, but since both these marks are so out there and no one else had come close to them, they do need to be ratified. So, you know, let's hope that the course was accurate because it was not done on track. Regarding Kipchoge, so did Kipchoge have the super spikes at London in 2016? Because he ran 203.05, sorry, the super shoes... London 2016. He ran 203.05 there. Do we know he had the shoes or he had some prototype version? Or Well, I thought he did because he wore them in the Olympics a few months later. So Okay. And Weldon has pulled up here. Camille Heron, ultramarathon legend, has pushed back on Robert's claim that the super shoes, you know, had a – basically, she, this is what her response to Robert was. Hey, let's run.com. Strongly disagree with this sentiment, which we wrote. While Sorokin's run was fantastic, if it wasn't for super shoes, it's unlikely he'd be the record holder. Then she goes on to say, carbon-plated shoes made me slower by at least 2% for 24 hours, changed shoes three times, and had extreme foot pain. You run more on your heels for 24 hours. The stiff plate isn't an advantage. It actually becomes more painful as you get tired, like having bricks on your feet. It felt like I had broken bones in my feet. I mean, that might be her experience. My, My assumption is, if this guy was wearing the super shoes, he probably doesn't feel the same way because he ran his fastest time ever, the fastest time anyone's ever run. But her experience, she doesn't think they help. Careful, John, with the man explaining. Careful, John. 
some woman on Twitter saying something? Who's this woman? Just kidding. I know she's <laughs> one of the best 24-hour runners ever. No, that's a great wait, point by Camille. Wait, 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 wait. She is the best ever. She's the 24-hour female world record holder. I was going to say Let's Run.com poster. Maybe a former Let's Run.com poster. What is it? What's her name? Jaguar One. That was her name. And then she became super famous. But she's one of us. We'll have to bring her on and talk about the shoes because she's saying they think her slowed her down, but she still wore them, right? So that means she thought they would make her better or maybe Nike demanded it. But I'm pretty sure she had the shoes on when she wrote the record, right? That's what she's saying. If this guy didn't think that the shoes were helping him, he wouldn't have worn them in his record attempt. And the second player was wearing a pair of ultras, apparently, and they've got a prototype shoe, which he was wearing. But Camille, I'm glad to hear that Camille's reading our stuff, so she's still obviously coming to Let's Run. And, you know, one of the things that Steeltown runner, um, Paul Cantor, I, I quoted him in the article, he's a Let's Runner, and he's a, sort of my, he's an expert on, on the ultra running scene. He helped me. One thing he said was, he's like, you know, normally there's just like 10 to 12% gap between men and women he's like we've seen some really elite performances on the women's side of things at the 24 hours recently we had not seen any men so he said it was really good to see a man's performance get up to the you know the male equivalent of a camille heron so camille has been doing some great stuff um obviously at the 24-hour distance she probably would be a, a good podcast um guest so i should probably reach out to koros and ask him what he thinks about the record because if you haven't read the interview it's a q a that i actually did with him in 2019 when we did the hoka thing but the issue was i emailed him the questions he said he wasn't sure if he'd had time to get back and then he didn't write back for several months and by the time he got back i had stopped looking for the responses I'm not great at email because the hoka thing was over and it was several months he said he was busy welding his house he, he likes to do construction and stuff so I've been sitting on this. I, I think I found it probably about six months later. I've been sitting on this Q&A. I was waiting when, when's the right time to publish it since it's after the fact. So publish it this week is great. I mean, he's very unconventional. He doesn't like really like to follow the ultra scene now because he thinks it's based just too much on fitness, not really much on personalities and metaphysical like your mindset. He didn't believe in long runs and training. He didn't believe in running your round. He said he liked to take time off. It was just a fascinating interview. Yeah, yeah, you have to do a little work. Trying, you know, his English isn't perfect, but you know, because he's he's Greek. But Robert, I'm fascinated. What do you mean? Like you stopped looking for his response in your email? Like the way my email works is when I get a new, the newest email is the top of the inbox, even if it's a reply to a very old conversation. Does your email work differently than my email? Well, it does, but I hardly ever look at the email because there's like a lot of spam, and then I have a Coach Johnson at Gmail. And then a Robert Johnson, let's run. And I kind of sometimes don't look for several days. John, can you be my administrative assistant? How about every day you log into my email and see if I have anything important? And then. All right. Does that come with a pay bump? Of course. You'll be getting your, if you do your job, you'll be getting your car bonus from all the people that sign up. Let's run.com slash subscribe. I, I actually, the, the, the responses to Camille's tweet are quite funny. Someone read the interview and said, I love the way Giannis manages to walk a fine line between a bit of a hippie a bit of an arsehole yeah no it, it's a nice unfiltered interview uh which is worth a read if, even if you're not a big ultra fan i mean yeah this Giannis, am i saying right yeah like Giannis antetokounmpo just a to y instead of a g okay camille's got this interesting tweet here saying 
you know, she's heard some crazy stories about him, how he stopped in one race and demanded more money. Otherwise, he wouldn't set a world best, like in the middle of the race. <laughs> That's pretty funny. But hey, John, this was Ultra Marathon Week. We should break down UTMB, but I couldn't tell you much about it except that Jim Walmsley dropped out. Courtney DeWalter, I know, won again for the U.S. Four straight for Courtney DeWalter. Francois Dane, I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, of France. Oh, wait, sorry. It wasn't four, was it four straight for Courtney DeWalter? I need to, it was, she, she repeated. Francois Dane won his fourth title overall. I need to now look up the UMT. I'm supposed to be the facts man here. I feel like it was not her fourth straight. It was her fourth title. But I guess Walmsley's just, he's never going to win this thing. I kind of thought like he's better than these. He's a better runner in my definition of the word than these other guys. But I guess running a hundred miles up mountains is just something completely differently because I know he's really wants to win this race and I guess he just can't do it. I mean, he dropped out now, maybe some saying like, well, if he didn't do Western States the same year, he could win it. But, I think maybe it's just one of those things like Camille is not that great at, at, at some of the, you know, trail running stuff. Everybody has their strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. Sorry. Fact is it's uh Courtney DeWalter's second straight title and fourth overall for Francois Dane up front. He's, so. he's the first man to win four. And yeah, you know, talking to Paul, Paul about this, he's like, look, Jim Walmsley would destroy Francois at Western States pretty much if they ever raced it. But you know, Francois is better at UTMB. So, speaking of people stepping up in distance, Jenny Simpson, she's not going to be at the Fifth Avenue mile. And that's a bit of a surprise because no one dominates an event like Jenny Simpson dominates the Fifth Avenue mile. She's won every event there since 2013, I believe. And you would kind of think, okay, she's going to be back, you know. And instead, she's going to be running the Cherry Blossom. 10 miler. And I'm kind of curious, do we think this signals is Jenny Simpson going to abandon the mile entirely move next, next year. She'll move up to a longer distance. She might do some road racing. You know, she just turned 35 years old. Actually, as we're recording this today, September 1st is the 10 year anniversary of Jenny Simpson's world championship title in the 1500 meters in Daegu. One of the most unlikely world titles by an American, I would say. And where does the future lie for her? Like if you're Jane Simpson, do you go back to the 15 and try to make the world's team next year? Do you just move up for the road to the roads? What, what would you do if you're in her shoes? Well, John, 10 years from Daegu. It's like the worlds I forgot about. I was there. Emery Mort was there too, I guess. I don't remember her winning in person at all. Like, I don't know. Time zone lag. We should maybe black page, black page to reminisce. I, th- I would give it one. I'd just say like 10, 10 years ago, we saw it was crazy. The Morgan Euseni fall and Jenny Simpson winning. I mean, it was one of the wildest 1500 meter finals in history. Maybe we should find a video and just put it up. But to me, yes, she's done with the mile. I mean, she may run them. I'm kind of shocked she wouldn't do Fifth Avenue and just take some money. But uh, to me, this, I like calling following the most elite end of the sport. This is probably it for Jenny Simpson. Do you think she's going to be, I mean, I think she can place well in us championships. I mean, do we think she's going to be like a sub two twenty five marathon or anything like that? That's going to move the needle. I don't No, but I don't know. I, 
I did. I took me a long time to write her off. I mean, basically, I was still heading into the Olympic trials final. I still thought she could make the team this year. And would it shock me if she comes back next year and she makes one last team? She is the greatest American 1500 meter runner ever. It wouldn't shock me, but so I don't know. If I were her, I think I'd give it one last crack in the 15, trying to make the world championships on home soil. Be a great story if she makes it. And if it doesn't happen, then you hang them up. I, I don't really see the point. Of oh yeah, moving back to the steeple, of course. I don't really see the point of, I mean, the US, it's not like if she moves up to the 5K that there's no depth in that event anymore. Like that's going to be a tough team for her to make, even if she can, you know, stay healthy. But I don't know, it comes down, you got to, Janie's got to ask herself that, that question. Does she still have the joy competing? I know she enjoys being sort of the assistant coach, working with Mark Wetmore and Heather Burroughs at Colorado. You know, you got to ask yourself, are, are you willing to put in what it takes to be one of the best in the country for another year? Because um, that's a decision. Does she want to start a family? You know, I think she has some decisions to make after this season. I think you made some good points there, John. I mean, I think this is smart to see how it goes in the, in the U.S. 10-mile champs. She, if she's any good at it. I mean, people are raving about her endurance. I don't think she's going to be like a world-class medal contender even if she did move up to the marathon because she'd be national class and get appearance visa marathons most definitely um you know and john you raised a good point there it's like what does she want to do and i don't know having three white males talk about having a family may not be the best thing to do but i'm gonna go there people want to deny biology you said it like if she wants to have children her own biological children she's got a very narrow window of opportunity left for that she's 35 now you know, you, I had a friend that did have a baby at 44 recently, but most people, that's not necessarily the case. Now you can freeze your eggs, um, which is an option. So I don't want people to get mad, but for some reason in this modern day and age, the year 2021, when people deny biology, when I state that biology exists, people get mad. So somebody born with a penis running in women's events, people get mad. If I point out that there's only a certain time frame you can have babies, for some reason people get mad or whatever. I'm not saying, you know, just stating the facts. So it'll be interesting. I, I I would like to see how she does in this race before we sort of make any bold predictions. Wow. Robert urging caution and waiting for the results to come in. I never thought I'd hear it say it, but that, that seems pretty rational. See what the result is. And then we sort of formulate an opinion. One thing I may understand about Jenny is I feel like she's always had a very good she just gets the most out of her talent. She seems very realistic of what she can do. I mean, she gets really good, but like, I feel like, Oh, the 1500s not going well this year. She sort of changed course. It's like, I'm going to try the 10 mile. She hasn't really put a lot of emphasis in the long distances. So maybe with the shift in emphasis, she can do a little better than I expect, but, and she had good endurance obviously in college, but I just don't expect great things from her in the long distances. I mean, the, the bar has been raised so high in the marathon, the half marathon, that sort of stuff. Okay. Moving on from that topic. I want to talk about, I would say this was the tweet of the week. It was from Molly Seidel. If you're listening to this podcast, you've probably read it already. If not, I will read it on the air for you. And it, Reads as follows. On my flight, was talking to a guy next to me, and it came up that I run. He starts telling me how I need to train high mileage and pulls up an analysis he'd made of a pro runner's training on his phone. The pro runner was me. It was my training. Didn't have the heart to tell him. 
And as of this moment, it's got over 4,000 retweets, 62,000 likes. Very popular tweet. I thought it was very amusing. I retweeted it. I liked it. And I was just like, oh, that's kind of funny. Like Molly Seidel, you know, my, my assumption was, hey, this guy, you know, he probably heard the story about Molly Seidel getting the Olympic medal, unlikely medal, saw that she was on Strava. I think this is the most, it's the most kudos female activity on Strava, to my knowledge, or running activity was her, she uploaded the marathon in Sapporo. And so I was like, oh, that's kind of, that's probably how he found out about it. That was my takeaway. This was a pretty amusing story. But generated a lot of discussion on our message boards. And Robert has a nuclear level take about this. And I'm wondering, are you going to share it on the podcast, Robert? What the hell? Are you trying to get me canceled? This is unbelievable. When I saw this message board thread about this tweet, John had called me something about work or something. I guess I can say it. I'm allowed to have an opinion. This is my personal opinion. I just said, I don't believe this tweet. I don't believe this story. And John's like, what do you mean? You you can't say that. I said, what do you mean? I'm not allowed to have a personal opinion. Like that was my opinion. I don't think that this story happened as is. It's like the Shelby Houlihan case. Could it have happened as is? Yes, it could. But I generally have a good bullshit detector. And like when I read a thread on let's run about these races, I'll generally read the whole thread and the first page of the thread. And I'll be like, is this true or not? And I normally have a gut reaction. Yes, it's true. No, it's not. In this case, I read this tweet. I thought about it a little bit and I just said, this doesn't make any sense to me. Now, why would she make it up? I don't know. Maybe it's just slightly exaggerated, a humble brag type thing. That's all I'm saying. I apologize, folks. Woke mob, don't come out to me. That's my personal opinion. I'm allowed to have an opinion. And that's my, that's this, I'm telling you my gut reaction. Yeah, your opinion is you, you're calling Molly Seidel a liar, that she just lied on the internet for, you know, engagement or stuff like that not use that word you just but said that's he what doesn't. he's accusing her of john 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 D- don't go all literal here when i saw this thread this is yeah robert's entitled his opinion and they're also entitled to cancel him i mean that's where we are as a society because i saw the discussion and i was like wait should we even allow this discussion on let's run and then i'm like wait she's the most prominent female marathoner in america right now she just won an olympic medal it's a big deal any other sport if like LeBron James sounds something, some people say, oh, that's bullshit. I don't believe it. Nobody would think anything of it. Like that's what happens in sport. Fans debate the stars, they're celebrities, they go with it. But uh, only in running, like it's like, oh, got to say positive stuff. And fans should be entitled to their opinions. And I guess Rojo too. So uh, I think it's sort of interesting, you know, and then – Everybody gets into the whole mansplaining angle, that sort of stuff. But, you know, this is Twitter. So, of course, they went there first with that. But I think running discussion is good, right? I just I just don't see what's so unbelievable about it. Like, she's on a flight. She's wearing a mask. She might be wearing a hat or something. This guy, if he saw her training just from Strava, maybe he didn't pay that much attention to her profile photo. I don't even know what her profile photo is on Strava. It seems plausible to me that this woman who recently got a lot of attention for a very fast marathon and her Strava upload, he looked at her training. He was like, oh, wow, this is pretty cool. But he's not a huge running fan. So he doesn't recognize her when she's right next to him. To me, that I can believe that. Okay, He's not a huge enough running fan, but he's following her in Strava. I mean, come on. So I think a lot of this depends on how you view the story. And I'm disappointed, honestly, that Molly hasn't clarified this because when I viewed the tweet, 
I thought it was like a fan was saying, oh, you're a runner. You should run a lot more. You should run a lot of mileage like Molly's huddle. I thought he was saying it in a complimentary way. A lot of people have taken it in a negative way, saying like, you don't know anything about running. You need to train this way. You're a woman. But he's showing her a woman's training log. So I viewed it as positive or negative. We, I don't know which way the story is. I would like to know that way. I viewed it as positive. And what I don't understand is why wouldn't you just say, it? hey, that's actually me, because that would be the thrill of this guy's lifetime. That's number one. The point number two, the main reason why I don't believe it is this story's gone viral. I, again, I'm viewing it as positive. Maybe he's afraid he's going to be canceled. But if it's a positive story, why wouldn't this person have come forward by now and said, hey, I was that person. I can't believe it was you. Great talking to you. It would be fun. Everybody would have their 15 minutes of fame. So that's the part that seems weird to me. And I will say right now, I will offer $1,000 if the person next to Molly Seidel wants to come on the podcast. It'll be great either way. If he comes on and he was mansplaining, I'll rip him for it. Because I do think there's a lot of men that think they know everything. And they, I, I think they'll, some of them may not realize, though, is that these men that think they know everything, they tell the men the same damn thing. They explain to men everything, too. Maybe they do it a little more often to women than men, but they just know it all. They're assholes. So if he's mansplaining, I'll rip him. And if he's a fan, it'll be cool to say, like, just it'll be a cool podcast. So $1,000 if the person on the flight comes forward. You can just tell us what flight it was. So it's not some broker. We'll have to ask Molly Seidel or her agent. Hey, was this the flight? We'll have you on the podcast. It'll be fantastic. I mean, your, your whole explanation though is like, well, they didn't do what I would have done in that situation. So I can't believe it. Like my, my thinking is like, well, some people, maybe she didn't want to talk to him about that. She found it amusing. He's just going to go through life, not knowing that. And they'll realize someday, like, she, just because she didn't tell him doesn't mean it's a lie. I don't know. I, I didn't say it's a lie, but it's, it, 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 there's, there are Shelby Hillian comparisons here. It's like, okay, what are the odds that the person on the plane even knows who Molly Seidel is, happens to have it on her phone. It's like one in 10,000. Then have it on <laughs> one in 10,000. You're talking one in a million. Hey, but as I said in the Shelby Hillian cases, one in a million do happen. So it's possible. And to give her more likelihood, this is a true story. So I'm on vacation last week in Cape Cod. And I'm in the Chatham Kids Train Museum, or it's the train museum with my three. I probably went there like every day for an hour and a half. And I was talking to the museum director. By the way, the first female museum director, John, I'm way more woke than you because I'm looking at the, I'm talking to this nice woman for like 45 minutes when my friend plays with the train and talking to the nice volunteer in charge. And I'm looking also at the list of, they have the museum directors, only been like 10 museum directors. I noticed they have the first female museum director this year ever. And then I'm like, could this possibly be the museum director that I'm talking to? And I looked at the name tag. I looked at the wall and I, I brought it up. I said, hey, are you the first female museum director? She said, not only that, I was only like the second board, fourth female board member. So, John, I recognized it. I celebrated her womanhood and her museum directorness. Anyways, somehow it comes up that I follow running. I went to the Olympics. She says, you know what? I'm a big fan. I've really enjoyed watching Molly Seidel. Swear to God. So the public does know who she is. And, John, she's like, but I don't know how to say her name. And I said, oh, that's funny. I have a podcast where we talk about her regularly, and it's Seidel. So, John, I corrected the word. I, she's got a fan in Massachusetts who now knows how to say her name. So I'm not saying it's not a cool story. She's a great athlete. She broke the footlocker curse. But, hey, I, I think a lot of people exaggerate, try to humble brag. That's what I thought it was when I saw it. And I'm just sticking with my gut reactions. 
I'm just glad that a you know how to pronounce Seidel correctly and are spreading that around because uh, we did record a different podcast today and I heard you slip up with Shalane Flanagan's name. So I guess I didn't teach you that one well. And we talked about Courtney Frerichs earlier. That one's weird to me too. Why you got you pronounce her name Courtney Frerichs like it's Frerichs Courtney Frerichs. So I'm not done teaching, but I'm glad that that lesson sunk in. Okay, guys, that was your favorite tweet of the week. It's probably going to be the tweet that gets me canceled. My favorite tweet of the week was a different one, John. Well, it actually wasn't my favorite tweet, but Weldon liked this tweet. It's from Hanson Brooks' team, Hanson's Run. And, you know, there's been some controversy about the fans at the New York Mets baseball games booing, and one of the players put a thumbs down to the fans, says you shouldn't be booing us. Hanson Brooks says, I love booing fans. It means they are invested. They care. And Weldon replied to this tweet on the Let's Run account by saying, we agree, but think 80% of the track and field world would freak out if someone was booed at a meet. I don't actually like booing at meets. I wanted to respond to this tweet of, it's great that you like it when people care, but then how come every pro goes crazy when some fan who cares posts something negative on the Let's Run message board? So people like booing fans, except on the Let's Run message board, which is basically the equivalent of a booing fan. If someone writes something on there, then, then all the pros and Hanson Brooks and Everybody else gets up in arms. So I thought people being a little hypocritical. I don't really like booing at fans. And when my three-year-old starts getting old enough to go to games, I believe this is my personal philosophy on booing, John. Tell me if you're there. I do not boo performance. I boo effort. So if the, if the team is not giving full effort, go ahead and boo. You pay good money. But if they're not any good, you know, it's like, it's like what the point? And when I was coaching at Cornell, the head coach ripped one of my runners once. And I was like, dude, he cost us the conference meet. Do you really think he wanted to go out and embarrass himself in front of the, the, the in front of everybody there? Like they want to do well. Why are we booing them? Just because they're not as good as we want them to be? Like I don't boo performance. I boo effort. What about you guys? I'm the same way. I I boo sparingly at sporting events. There, there are a couple occasions. What? Yeah, at Brighton games back when I would go when I was younger. If it was just a like really lackluster effort or something, they we might boo the team at full time or half time. In general, in general, I don't really try to boo my team i don't think i've ever booed the patriots and that's because they like really didn't give me a reason to boo but like i've been to games where the patriots were booed and i'm just like guys come on they've won six super bowls like what, what are you doing but and then sometimes i will boo the boo the opposing team like if you go to a patriots game at gillette stadium the pa announcer will give like the other team like the least exciting like they, they basically ask you to boo it's like and now the today's opponents the Baltimore Ravens and then, you know, people will just boom when they're coming in. So yeah, I think I've done that before as well, but in general, I try not to boo my own team unless like, yeah, it's really, really lackluster effort. Well, I boo the other team like that. Cause that's like basically a cheer for your own team, but like individuals, I, I don't really want to boo because they strike out or, you know, and, that, and I, I guess for some reason, this doesn't apply to referees. I do think I boo referees. The only time I've heard the only times I've heard people booed at trap meets were Justin Gatlin, 2017 Worlds. I, I'm trying to remember if he was booed at the 2015 Worlds. And then the officials at the Olympic trials this year with all the full starts, they were booed. Other than that, I'm struggling to remember times when I've ever heard anyone booed at a trap meet. Well, it's not very common because Track, you don't have the home team and the away team. And usually we're booing when we're really invested in somebody. Sure, we root for people, but like also running is so universal, right? You got like everybody's sort of 
trying to do their best, there's a more commonality with running than I think some of these other sports where it's like you versus them. Whereas in running, you know, it's like, yeah, it's you versus the guy next to you versus the guy next to you, but you're all racing the clock. So it's very rare. And I, I kind of more like the let's run forums. Sure. There's some stuff that crosses the line, but like a Yankees forum, people say, Oh, you know, so-and-so sucks. He's a bad runner. And like, no one thinks anything of it yet. I'm running. We're supposed to be, Oh my God, the f- forums are so terrible. That sort of stuff. You know, not that there aren't some problems when constantly like moderating and that sort of stuff, but that's just comes with public discussion on the internet. I mean, but I think with running in particular, people are like overtly sensitive and I'm like major sport. People say so-and-so is doping. They're cheating, whatever it is. You know, I mean, John still hasn't admitted to the cheating by the Patriots. So. What do you mean I haven't admitted to it? They absolutely cheated in 2007. They paid their penalty, and then they still almost won the Super Bowl. When have I ever denied that they cheated in 2007? Deflategate, on the other hand, don't get me started on that. They got railroaded. Can't believe Tom Brady. But yeah, that's a different discussion for a different day. All right, I think we should move on. How about this news? Hoka and the Elite. I don't think they've had, had had a Kenyan athlete before. To my knowledge, this is their first one. Alex Masai of Hofstra, 27.45, personal best, All-American, sixth of the 10K NCAAs this year. Uh, he's joined the team, and he's got some good bloodlines. He's the brother of Lynette Masai, who's the 2009 world champion in the 10,000 meters. I found that interesting just because not a ton, I mean, how many Kenyans have joined pro teams in the United States? I'm just trying to think. Like, yeah, but this kid went to college here. Yeah, that's true. Sally Kipiego. Well, she's now American, though. Well, I assume he's going to go down that route. Alafine Tulamek, John. There's a Kenyan on their team right now. She's a Kenyan. She's American. But I guess when she joined the team, she was American. She was American when she joined the team. I don't know. Someone else had this as a newsworthy story. So I'd just like to know if you guys have any thoughts on this. To me, you know, I found it somewhat interesting, but. Well, I just think it's a smart signing. I mean, Hoke and AZ Elite, they've, you know, maybe them and the Hansons, I feel like do the most with the sort of the least amount of talent. Is that a fair assessment? They don't get the NCAA champions. Do they, do they have an NCAA champion? Uh, I don't. Individually, I don't think so. But this is a cheap signing, probably very inexpensive. The bloodlines are just absolutely amazing. So the upside is possibly there. And, you know, he gives it a go for a couple of years. You see where he's at. You know, then you have connections to Kenya as well. The world's more international, more diverse these days. I think it's good for the brand. Yeah, no, I thought it was a smart signing as well. Especially, like, it's funny. I read the press release. Like, initially, I was like, oh, you're right. Alex Masai, he's a pretty solid run. And then I read the press release. And the, you know, whoever wrote the press release did a pretty good job, I think. Because I was like, oh, actually, yeah, he's got he's got the bloodlines. His brother, Moses Masai, was fourth at the 2008 Olympics in the 10K. So I'm, like, thinking to myself, okay, this guy was a pretty decent college runner. He's got a good support system. He'll be at altitude in Flagstaff. You know, Ben Rosario, I think, is one of the best coaches in the country. This could work out, you know, who knows? So I, I think it'll be interesting to see how he does. And didn't this guy go for it in a couple of races? Because usually I don't know the eighth placer at 
NCAs, but I feel like there was a couple of races. He really went for it. We looked him up. Was it NCAA cross maybe? Yes. He, yeah. He was out near the front and NCAA cross this year. He was know? undefeated heading in. Yeah. Or maybe that was undefeated, but like when your siblings have done what his siblings have done, you're not content, hopefully to sort of, well, he's not American, which is good just to kind of be the fourth American in some race and pick up $1,500. Well, I think it's great for him personally, because what is the 1324, 2745 going to get, going to get in Africa? Probably absolutely nothing. I would love to know the endorsement contracts for the for the Kenyan athletes in Kenya. Like, are they paid Kenyan salaries or American salaries? Like, does this guy now make more than ninety percent of the sponsor pros in Kenya, despite being slower than ninety percent of the of the sponsor pros in Kenya? So, I think it's great for him personally. I imagine this means he probably wants to run for America. Um, that being said, I, I, I've got to give. I mean, I don't know. P- part of me is also it's like look at the look at the Nike Oregon project. When you when you can't do it with the Americans, what do you do? You hire the elite, elite Africans and, and, and coach them to the world titles. Alberto Salazar wanted to have the build Ameri- you know the Nike Oregon project was to, was designed to build American marathoners. That was the goal initially. He couldn't really do that except for with Galen Rupp. So he got a bunch of African born runners to come over here and dominate the world. Um, Mo Farah, Sifan Hassan. Etc. With the Middle East, you know, with Constantine Kloster having was born in Germany, etc. And I don't know. It's just like I just feel like if you don't have grade A talent, you're not going to have grade A results. The African talent is cheaper, and that front is smart. I always said if I was a shoe company, I would just sign a ton of Kenyans. They're way cheaper. Yeah, if you haven't trained over here too, they'll get more publicity over here. So I think it's smart from a PR standpoint, but. I don't think I'm surprised y'all aren't being a little bit more cynical of me in the sense of like they're doing what everybody else has done. Well, I guess not everybody's done it. Warwick Wetmore doesn't do it. Hanson's Brooks doesn't do it. Okay. Should we talk briefly about the Brussels Diamond League? We have a Diamond League on Friday. It's the last one before the finals next week in Zurich. It's a one meet final, multi day final, though. Okay. I wish I could preview this meet more, but the problem is I'm on the website right now. There is no way for me to find start lists. I don't see any links for it. If you go to where they normally have the results, the program and entries and everything, the meet has now begun because for some reason they're having the discus on Wednesday. And so you go to the program results page and you can't find the actual start list, which is just infuriating as someone who covers the sport for a living and you know wants to try to preview it on a podcast. We do have, I do have this field for you, which I find is very interesting. Beatrice Masalingi, Christine Mboma, Dina Asher-Smith, Sharika Jackson, and Shakari Richardson in the 200 meters. Either of you guys surprised Shakari Richardson after totally embarrassing herself at the pre-classic is flying out to run a 200 in Brussels? I'm not surprised because she said in the Let's Run.com interview afterwards that she had a few more races lined up. I am more surprised, John. She's not going to be in the Diamond League final in the 100. Well, I don't think she's... She has like six diamond league points or something, and maybe second place. That's it, which is disappointing. And I think she has to win this race to make the diamond league final in the 200. So the sport, if they could have one wild card for the, and it's the final, right? But could you have like one wild card for certain events? Just kind of put her in an extra lane. I'd love to see her try to win the 100 if she wants to. She may not want to embarrass herself again. Um, but I think you'll know after this race. 
sort of what, I don't know whether she'd actually embarrass herself in the hundred. I, I don't have big expectations. The 200 is not her best event. I'm not excited to see her get spanked by the Jamaicans again in a hundred, maybe next year, not, not in Zurich. Like we saw this race two weeks ago at pre she got destroyed in the hundred meters. What's that? That's going to be different. She's going to suddenly be in the league with Elaine Thompson here and Shelly Ann Fraser price. So I'm not interested in seeing her run the hundred in Zurich. She might be able to run 10, seven again. Maybe she just had a bad race. A really bad race. No, I'm more interested in seeing how run the 100 in 2022. Well, while it's disappointing that the start lists are no longer up, I did go to the Let's Run thread that was started while the start lists were briefly up. So in addition to the 200, we have a men's, women's 5,000 with Francine Nianzaba, Helena Burry, Taya, and Gede. So that'll be, you know, Nianzaba, the intersex athlete, has been winning, but can she beat the studs like Gede and Obiri? She just smoked those two at the pre-classic. She can absolutely beat them. I guess it's the 5K instead of a two-mile, but <laughs> yeah, I expect her to keep winning. Remember, according to the science, John, her advantage is closest to the 800, 400 to the mile, and then after that, it wanes. It's like it's like the COVID vaccine. It wanes over time, wanes over distance. Um, should I take that comment out, by the way? I'm very pro-vaccine. I can't wait to get my third shot, everybody. Wait, yeah, Rob, aren't you the guy who said after you got your two doses, you wanted to know if you could get another dose for, like, you got two Pfizer and you wanted to know if you could get a Moderna shot as well? Yeah, didn't I ask that on this podcast? Everyone was acting like I was crazy. I said, should I get a third shot before I go to Tokyo? Now, guess what? They're telling us to get the third damn shot. I should be in charge. I knew I knew more than Fauci. Okay. Literally, uh, that, was supposed was to be a, that was supposed to be a 10K world record attempt by Safana San, but... After falling short in the 5K and pre, she has bagged it. She's running the mile instead. I don't blame her at all for that. It makes sense to me. She's running the mile, right? Some people think she might go for the mile world record. I don't think she will. Because guess who has the mile world record right now? She does. Safana Son. So I don't know. But maybe, you know, they, they might have the pacing lights. Maybe she does go for it. We've got a men's 100. I think Curly's in there. Don't know who else. Men's 1500. Again. Katir, Wish I, could tell you I can tell you, Zenit, Katir, be interesting to see what he does because he looks incredible in his 328. McSwain, Kip saying McCall, men's pole vault. So watch the race on Thursday. We'll break it down for you on Friday. Friday. Race on Friday, we'll have like a post-race, you know, recap, right? Maybe a live show. Should we do a live show after, after Brussels? A little way to kick off the weekend for the Let's Run fan base. Live yeah. show at 4 p.m. Yeah. Maybe with beer in hand, Friday, you know, Friday, 4 p.m. So if you're a cheapskate, you can listen to it live on YouTube, Twitter, or Facebook at 4 p.m. But if you miss it, the only way to get it is to go to letsrun.com slash subscribe. Coming up soon, folks, is our guest, Paul Cholimo. We're going to have an interview with him. I guess he's not racing this race, is he? Is he done for the season? I should know this before I do my interview with him. He's got some road races coming up, probably. We'll, we'll get into that with him. But wait, I need to go on a rant here. The Diamond League broadcast on Saturday, the Paris Diamond League, cut out before the final event, the men's 110-meter hurdles. And it's, it's, a, it's ridiculous to me that this just... Ha- like, if this happened in an NFL game and you missed the final, like, two minutes of an NFL game, there would be a freaking riot. Twitter would melt down. Track and field, this happens... It happened last year where we just lost a 1500 at one of the Diamond Leagues. Jakob Ingebrigtsen was in it. We just didn't get to see it. 
And it was basically like, oh, yeah, we cut the feed early. We made a mistake. Like, this is an absolute joke. And then it happens again in Paris. And the explanation, Paul Swangard, who, you know, covers these meets for NBC, he said this wasn't an NBC or a Peacock issue. The meet was being broadcast on Peacock. The world feed went dark due to a transmission issue in London. And that that's their that's what he's saying. I don't Paul, he's a good guy. I, I'm sure that's he's saying that's what happened. I'm not calling him a liar. What I am saying is that other countries that also get the international feed did not have this issue. The CBC, we have multiple Canadian visitors saying they had no issues. They saw the 110 meter hurdles. And it's happened in other countries as well. So what I am saying is either there was something messed up between the communications between NBC and and the international feed, or for some reason the connection between London and the US was was interrupted somehow. I don't know exactly what happened. What I am saying is this is quite this is very annoying as an American track fan. And it's kind of unbelievable that after we had this problem last year with NBC screwing up and cutting out early, it's happened this time, they say unintentionally at another diamond league meet. Well, John, you say something didn't happen and you're not calling someone a liar. Robert says something didn't happen. And you said he's calling. Someone I'm, a liar. I'm not, I'm not calling Paul a liar. I, I know I'm, I'm saying I'm just kind of joking around for me. It shows what a joke the sport is in the U S okay. Maybe there's a difference because this was being streamed and the other stations are broadcasting on TV countries but i don't care nbc still if they gave a shit about track immediately when this went down they'd be deluged with complaints obviously nobody complained and they'd put something up on the screen i'm sorry we've lost the feed nothing happened it just went dark i eventually switched over to the pole vault feed and saw the pole vault just our sport is so small and hey who knows i I don't know it is what it is right yeah that was the strange thing well then because you could i did watch the pole vault actually it was pretty cool because the pole vault, like the cameras, they didn't have a lot of commentary on it. You could just hear Mondo. He was trying to go for the world record. He was talking to Renault Lavillenay and Sam Kendricks and asking them. He's just, at one point, he basically just said, oh, it's just like so fucking high, man. Like I got to get so, it's so, you know, it gets deep, uh, you know, the bar or whatever up top when you're at those heights. I thought it was really interesting. So they didn't lose all the feeds, but NBC did lose, you know, the connection was broken up. They lost that feed for the main events which is unfortunate but i don't know it's just as a fan it was annoying that i didn't get to see that hurdles race well i don't know what to think i'm a little bit nervous john's becoming angry rojo with a jonathan galt rant can we get our music guy andrew brick johnson to make a jonathan galt rant music sound no i don't by by the way every time we have the intro to the podcast when we start i mean to give a shout out to andrew brick johnson because the intro to the show is so good i love listening to my car and I I, sh- I sing along with the music as I listen. So, thank you for the for the music there. But John, I'm really worried because you're moving more and more right, and I'm moving far and far left. I'm celebrating the female Chatham Museum Road uh, female Chatham Railroad Museum director, meeting her, recognizing her as a woman. So, Mr. Woke Robert Johnson, Mr. COVID wanted three shots way before anyone else. Don't cancel me, folks, just because I don't believe one tweet is totally accurate. There's probably some element of truth to it. John, the Boston Marathon has apologized for being held on Indigenous Peoples Day. And I did not realize, is this my problem? Indigenous Peoples Day is also what other people call Columbus Day. 
Well, this is a result because Columbus did not exactly treat the indigenous peoples of the Americas very well when he got here. So I believe that was was sell- that holiday was started as a response to it. I don't think that the BAA really needs to apologize to them. Like the NBA holds games on Martin Luther King Day. It's considered a good thing. Yeah, to, to honor Martin Luther King. I mean, they're not having the Boston Marathon to honor indigenous people, but like it's not weird to have sporting events. We have sporting events on the 4th of July. A road race is apologizing to America for having races on their birthday. I don't really think they need to apologize, but because some of the court, you know, some of the towns, I believe my town, Brookline is one of them, they recognize indigenous people, they celebrated there are events here because of it. The BAA needed to sort of make a good faith gesture and say, hey, look, we don't want to, you know, we're having our race. Thank you for letting us run through the town. We don't want to disrespect you, but we also having this big race. So I think it's keep out appearances thing here. Yeah. Is, is Columbus Day no more? Uh, no, I mean, there are definitely, it's definitely celebrated in other parts of the country, probably around here as well. It's still a federal holiday, right? I think. Yeah. Yeah. What? I'm glad that bastard Columbus never set foot foot on North America. But do they normally do they apologize to the Patriots every year when they have it on Patriots Day? And it's not like we NBA doesn't ever hold basketball games on Christmas Day. I mean, somebody's birthday was that day. So, all right, <laughs> enough. We're going to get ourselves canceled. Next up, America's only male Olympic medalist from 2020, two-time Olympic medalist Paul Chilimo. We're pleased to be joined by Paul Cholimo, the two-time Olympic medalist, one-time world championship medalist, the only American in history to medal in two Olympic 5,000 meters. Paul, congratulations on the bronze in Tokyo. How's it going? Thanks for joining us. Feels good. You know, it's, it's off-season, and to me, pretty much I got road races coming up, but I feel like it's that's just the bonus. The big, the big, the big job is already done. After Tokyo, my mind was shut off. Like after Tokyo, honestly, I didn't go to bed like three days straight. Cause I was just so excited walking around the village because usually it's with the 5k being the last, almost the last event, every Olympics, I don't get, I don't get a chance to have all the fun and enjoy. So I always just go to my room, to the cafeteria, get some food back to my room. So once I'm always done and I'm, and it's successful, I always just go ballistic and try to have fun and enjoy, you know? Yeah. So, you know, at the time in Tokyo, you seem pretty satisfied with the bronze and having had a few weeks to to think about it. Have your thoughts changed? I mean, it seems like it was a pretty good race. I mean, you're known, you said in Tokyo to me that if it was between like, I think at 1305 and 1320, if, if it was a slower race, you were convinced you would win the gold it ended up being a pretty fast race. I mean, you ran 1259 and that was probably what the second fastest time of your life. And yet you still ran, managed to, to, to get the bronze. So what, what do you kind of take us through that race and what you think of it now? Yeah, honestly, it's that type of race that I, I, I did, I did that race and honestly going in, I wasn't, I wasn't among the favorites. To, my, to me too, it was it was a different type of race, you know. You got to think about it. If you think about it, it's like number one to number eight in that race. One to eight. All of them broke 13 minutes last year. So going into that type of race with people who have broken 13 minutes fresh, 
mine my PB was just from 2018. You know, that was a different type of race. And my season best for for outdoors, it was listed as 1326, which I got in the trials. So that's what people knew me for, you know, 1328, 1326. So going going in, going in, of course, I wasn't expected to, I wasn't, those people were expecting me to be tough, but, you know, it's like with the PBs, you know, sometimes people get fooled, you know, with the times and everything crazy running and that, these people just get fooled and they think it's a championship is a championship. And I feel like I was built more for the championship than any, any other type of race. They, you can put me in a 12.30 race today. Trust me, I won't be top three, but you can put me in a championship race. They run 12.30, I'm still going to be, I'm going to be top three. So, I just, I always know when to pick. I always know what races really matters because, I mean, being third place in the Olympics, just being top three, I guess I've cashed, cashed out more than, than going to a diamond league and running 12.30. So, or like, I mean, not to disrespect 12.30, I mean like 12.40s, you know, that's, the game is changing, you know, like everyone is running like 12.40s, you know, I not to disrespect like, whatever Joshua has done, you know, like I have a massive respect for that guy. And I mean, I really, really was looking forward to be second at worst to be second to Joshua because losing to Joshua, man, it's like, that's a world record holder. So, and it, that, that is kind of like his time. And I mean, let him enjoy that, that type of time, you know, because it's, it's, he did, he did a lot of work last year, you know, breaking both world records when no one was expecting. So, yeah. 12.30 just sounds crazy. I mean, when, when you just hear it, you're like, what? That still doesn't sound right to me. Even 12.40 sounds so fast to me. But, you know, as you said, on paper, yeah, you, I don't know, you weren't one of the favorites. But on the past results and championships, you were. I mean, you did well in 2016, 2017. 2019, you know, you had a little slip up. I think you were, what, seventh? And you said at the time, like, watch me. I will be ready. You know, you said next year at the Olympics, we all thought we'd have an Olympics in 2020. You're like, I just had a daughter. I haven't been sleeping as much. I will be ready and come Tokyo. And big picture, you totally were. I mean, there's no denying, you know, what you did. There's a lot of expectations. The American distance runners, you know, we're getting a lot better. But on the men's side, you're the only one to come through with a medal. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I tried to do my best. I tried to put name out there and i you know it just kills me when when these people are always talking like negative and always talking crap you know so that really pisses me off but that what that that motivates me though sometimes it motivates me and you know the crazy part is uh crazy the funny part is like people think i'm sometimes people think like ah this guy is just talking it's just talks you know there was a time uh Funny part is like I was sitting with Joshua at the cafeteria, Joshua and Nicholas Kimeli. And I was talking to Joshua and I was like, that was before the finals, the day before the finals. I was like, hey guys, I think I think you guys medal already in the 10K. Um I'm thinking, I told Joshua, like, I'm thinking like I know what is gonna go. Like, I have a medal in this race. I don't know what you guys gonna do. I don't know what will happen, but just know I'm going home with the medal. That's it. You guys decide which one you're going to take. But I'm just going on with one medal. If it's gold, it's all right. I'll be happy. But any medal is mine. And I told Joshua, 
just like a joke, you know, I was like, Joshua, you know, this thing we have to do to agree, man. Like, one Ugandan has to go home without a medal. One Ugandan. And I was like, Joshua, you have to decide. It's you or it's Kiplimo. And uh, so, you know, like it's... Because I knew, I knew pretty much there was going to be one guy. There was going to be one guy that... Uh, random guy that will show up. There's going to be one guy. And it, was, it happened, it was Mohammed. I knew that. Apart from me, apart from me and one Ugandan, there was going to be one person. So and that's what I think that's what... That's what ended up happening. Yeah. It seems to me though, like Paul, when you talk about the, about the fast races, I mean, we were talking, uh, you know, I went to both those Virginia beach races, this, this went indoor, the 5,000 attempts. And when I was talking to you about the times, like it almost seemed to me, I was kind of surprised. Like I'm talking to an Olympic silver medalist, but you seemed almost intimidated by the fast times. Like if it's a super fast race, you almost sell yourself short. Like, Oh, I can't compete in it. But when I watch these races, even the Olympics, I mean, it's a sub-13 minute race. You always have a big kick. And then after the Olympics at the pre-classic, you're a little bit farther back, but then you're so competitive. Once you, is it just a competitive nature? Like what happens to you in the last 200 meters? Like you always seem to have it if you're in it for a top position. Yeah, I feel like I always try to, I just try to give my best. And uh, honestly, my goal is just to focus about more about the long term than just short term running fast in races. For example, Virginia Beach, that was an indoor race and I wasn't ready for I wasn't ready to just run that crazy, like run crazy, crazy fast because I always try to pick based on the important races. So in Virginia Beach, actually I didn't even do any solid type of sessions that could that could predict that I'm doing, I was going to do the American record, you know? So, because I feel like I was just, uh, I was just putting it, I wasn't ready for it, but the big person that was requesting the, the pay, the thing is, uh, was Emmanuel Ball. Emmanuel was, uh, was shooting for the record. And, uh, once it was put out there that I'm going for the American record, you know, once it's out on the media, you can't change it, you know? So I just ended up trying, my best but my big goal was just to compete and get a race in and because uh, Scott has been setting up like in the races year in year out and I've, I've been missing them so I figured out that would be the best year that I would try give it a try because it's an, it's an Olympic year too it, it it ended up working because I what I know is that if I do fast races in those it just gets me ready for the outdoors so uh, I think that's that's my strong but so any type of race that I do, it really doesn't matter the time or anything, but just getting that speed for, for outdoors, that will prepare me well for outdoors. Right. So heading into Tokyo, like how had the workouts been going? Did you think, wow, I'm in the, in the shape of my life? Like what was your confidence level? Man, heading into Tokyo, like when I did the, the, the prelims, I was like, just like bouncing you know like i was just i wish i wish i could feel like that running to thirty pace you know <laughs> that was like i was feeling really good i mean i was i was really i would say like eddie needs tokyo i was like in the best shape of my life it's just that um sometimes it's 
sometimes it's it's different type of racing, you know. And especially this is a, like a championship. Championship is different than than a time trial. So running twelve fifties in a championship, it's it's a way way different game than because I feel like if we ran like twelve fifty nine, twelve fifty eight in a Diamond League, it will feel a bit more easier than than the championship because that race was like the pace wasn't wasn't consistent like because at some point at some point like towards the end like Kimeli started cranking the pace and then all of a sudden Joshua comes and he keeps like cranking the pace like crazy and if you watch the race Joshua started kicking like 600 out or 500 out you know I feel like uh, that's that was like the tough tough part you know like he, he started like because he was he has more strength so I think that's what that's what he wanted to do and honestly it's 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 a different type of game so I don't know yeah I mean to me in my mind you ran 1259 in a championship race with an uneven pace plus it was incredibly hot there so I know time trials aren't your thing but was there any thought of the American record is not that far off? It's twelve fifty three. Did you think about taking a crack at it later this summer? I mean, I know you shut down the season now, but why didn't you want to go for the American record? Planning for an American record, it's it's it needs a lot of it's a lot of work, you know. And sometimes it's once once the body is once once I accomplish what I needed, you know, it's 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 just enough, you know. That was just enough for me because I get. I get I get more like I get more like getting getting a medal than breaking the American record. So, I mean, to me honestly, it's to me honestly, it's about the planning too. About the planning. Where am I gonna get that type of race? Who is gonna set it up for me? You know, like because I feel like honestly, I feel like I put in all the I put in all the effort, but I don't get all the support out there. You know. Because everything I try to do is I just try to work with Scott. And all of a sudden, I go to Scott. Scott comes back and says, "Ah, no, it, it doesn't work, man. It's like, because uh, everything, most of the things I just have to, I just have to work my way out, out of it. Like, I have to, I have to just do my best to get the performance that I need, you know? So, yeah. So, no Diamond League final. What are you going to be doing this fall? Yeah, so a uh, big big thing is uh, I have a mile, Fifth Avenue mile, in, uh, in about like in about like a week and a half, and then uh, always always New York five k. It's it's a it's a good race. It's a good place to be. It's a good weekend to be at. So I'm gonna do the New York City five k, and. Uh, since the Memphis 5K is, is about like a week and a half after that, I'm gonna do the Memphis 5K. So, pretty much get the get some indoor racing. So I'm gonna just keep keep skipping the days. Um, I'm not gonna shut off the day completely. I'm not gonna shut off completely. Like yesterday, I had a workout, so um, I'm not gonna shut off completely. And uh, another thing is that uh, I'm trying to I try my I'm trying my best. I'm trying to make uh, try to make a try to make like like get more get more people supporting me get more people behind me and uh i'm starting a youtube channel like the the channel would be like showing all my training everything all the way to like eugene oregon so that's so that's my plan because it's 
we need more of that to get people into track and field. So with me doing that, the YouTube channel and just, just that will be like so important, especially for upcoming athletes, because I came to realize that these athletes, these people are really, really interested in such type of things, especially like those in high school, middle school. They are so interested in this type of thing. So if they don't get to see they don't get to see me one on one, you know, they can see my workouts, they can see what they need to be on the to train as a top level athlete. So uh, that's that's what I'm working on right now. Pretty much the YouTube channel and 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 big goal is just to keep training all the way till like New York 5K and then shut it off for about two weeks and then get back into it again. Yeah. You talked. You mentioned about high school and junior high. I've always wondered, back in Kenya, how good were you in Kenya? I mean, you came over to the states and got a scholarship to North Carolina A and T. And back then, I was coaching at Cornell. And I mean, you caught my eye pretty quickly because Don Cabral, the Olympic steeplechase uh, final, two-time Olympic steeplechase finalist, was sort of the god of the Ivy League, where I was coaching. And you just destroyed him one time in a fifteen hundred down in rally realized I think it was you made him look like a JV runner so I said this guy's pretty legit and I think I mean you never won an NCAA title but weren't you second in the track is that right but I was always wondering like how good were you in Kenya at the time because Kenya now is terrible at the 5,000 they haven't won a medal in such a long time but here you are winning American medals at back-to-back Olympics so were you one of the top juniors in Kenya or did you develop after the fact tell us about how good you were in Kenya before we go ahead, I, I I was I went to UNC Greensboro, not NC North Carolina ANT. Oh sorry, yeah. Uh, North Carolina ANT, they are really good with sprints, but they are not good with distance running. So that's the difference. So uh you know, growing up in Kenya, you know, I used to play tags with my brother and we would run and they'll never catch me. And then also also when I was in uh middle school, they the teacher would just come to the class randomly and they would set up they would set up like a school cross country you know they would come randomly and take us off the class and would go to like like random they just show us the they just show us like the roads that we could run through like they would just describe the roads <laughs> they it's, it's just like a random course course and then we just go run and most of the time I would get top 3 with no training at all no training you know, and you you have to remember, like, um, I think I, I did uh, I did a 933, 3K in altitude or a dirt track, no training, nothing. Just a spike one. So I just, uh, I knew I was pretty, I was pretty talented, but uh, most of it, most of it, like, all the support got, honestly, came from the U.S. All the support, like, when I went to UNC Greensboro and being in college, I all got all that experience getting a silver medal at the university games. All that experience, all that journey, uh, just made me who I am today. Because if I was a runner in Kenya, I'll probably be done by now. I'll probably be done by now. I'll probably be in the road races because I'll be like greedy. Because everyone over there in Kenya, they are like, oh, road races, it's where it is, you know. There's money there and everything. So I'll just probably try to go to road racing and just get just finish my career like in the road racing and probably like right now i'll be like somewhere in the village just chilling yeah yeah do you think it 
the Kenyan sort of lack of success on the track recently, do you think that's because all the money's on the road? So now people in Kenya are like, hey, I'm done with the track. There's money in the marathons. Boom. Or do you think it's more complicated? Yeah, exactly. A lot of Kenyans are moving to the roads. And uh, honestly, trust me, uh, I've been to Kenya. And the big the big part about it is, and really breaks my heart, is just, it's just the support, man. Like, it's... It's like just people out there, like they just been given a job and they just sleeping on it. They don't do, they don't try up the athletes through every way. They instead they just try to, you know, like like a vulture, you know, like they just try to make money through every means. Even if they can take an athlete's money, it's fine, you know. I mean, honestly, it's that's the big problem right now in track and field in Kenya, because no one, no one tries to do the, that because it's you're working so hard year in year out sacrificing yourself you don't do road races you don't do anything and then at the end of the day at the end of the day nothing really pays off you know track really nothing really pays off for example i'll give you a good example uh when i went to kenya for like uh uh, when I went to Kenya to do to give a final race to my brother, to give my brother a final race, like the burial, um, around that same time, Kipchoge Stadium was being renovated. And trust me, there was there was nowhere to train, nowhere, like no stadiums to train at. So uh, think about it, like the Olympics was coming up in six months or five months. It's like actually it was four months out. The whole country doesn't have like especially Dory Town in the 10. Dory, they don't have any stadium that, any track that they can train on. So, I mean, already, you know, like that's, that's just people sleeping in their job. Already the government is just failing on its own. And that's the one of the things that makes me really appreciate more being in the U.S. because I look right, I have a, I have a, I have a stadium. I look left, I have a track there out there. I look, I look in front of me, there's a track. Behind me, there's a track. So always I get to, I get, I get to, I don't have to worry about places that I can train at. And that's why I don't like complaining because I know I have the best, best support. As long as I got the, the, the track, man, I got, as long as I got the track, I got spikes. That's it. That's all I need. That's all I need for now. Yeah. So pretty much I don't need anything else apart from the basic. Yeah, but I think sometimes we, we take you for granted because, I mean, look at, I mean, that may be true in Kenya, but look at Edward Cheserick. I mean, he was an NCAA god, won everything in Oregon, has a big pro contract, trains in the U.S., and for some reason just can't seem to put it together as a pro. So what advice would you give him if you were in charge? Edward Cheserick, I think it's, uh, I don't know, it's it's just tough to be in issues because, Man, this is guy. This is, this is someone that think about it. This is someone that has seventeen NCA titles. In the same, in the meantime, like I have zero, zero NCAA <laughs> titles. You know, and that's that's just like that's just crazy to think about it. Like him not being competitive in a professional level. But uh, honestly, I feel like it's it's all about the. It's all about the coaching. Oh, honestly, it's all about the coaching. Uh, uh, the difference between me and Edward Cheserek, it's, uh, it's, 
think it's because I didn't do a lot of crazy, crazy training in college. Because there was times that I would just be, I would just be like arguing with my coach because like the training was too easy, you know. And till today, Ling Yuan is like my coach that I really respect because this is a guy that really molded me and he made me be a top athlete that I am today because he used to tell me like, man, I don't think like professional running would be a different game for you. You're going to be a different guy. So just be patient. Just be, just do whatever you can do. And the crazy part is that we used to do speed sessions with training shoes, you know, like with the training shoes. No day would just, no day would put on spikes unless it's just on the track on racing. So I, I feel like I didn't even get to touch my, my last gear. So the difference with that is at that at the same time, Edward Cheserek was running like crazy, crazy times doing like doubles, doing doubles in every championships. So you go to pack, pack 12, you do like a double, you go to like NCAA, you're doing a double. You know, that really, that really drains you, drains a lot out, out of you. And especially like you're going to an NCAA championship and you're running like 13-18, 13-15 to get the win. And you have already, that's a double. So uh, that, that really drains a lot. And that's the difference now. For me right now, that's the difference. That's the reason even I don't want to go to the Diamond League finals because it doesn't help me in any way. It's a, it's a track that it's on the streets. Even if we run the world record, it's not a world record. It's not an American record. The only thing you just get to you get from it is just to be a Diamond League champion. But to me, I feel like it's 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 just the future. I mean, for me, I have to go year by year, year in, year out, and I'm liking it. I'm liking the progress so far. You know, you see Barrega, you see Barrega is going to the 10k. Kjelcha is going to the 10k. That's a good sign. They gotta keep going and keep going all the way to the roads. And I'm just gonna keep keep digging, digging, digging that 5k. Eventually, eventually it will get to a point that I'm gonna get the gold and then try to move up. So maybe that's next year, Eugene, Oregon. It's gonna be really, really great to win in Eugene, Oregon. If I get to win gold in Eugene, Oregon, I can even try. Even I can even think of going to roads or the marathon. But now it's like I still just have. I just gotta keep going. I have missions that I have to accomplish for sure. Yeah, I mean, you've talked to me in the past about having a long career, and I think you joked about running in the was it 2036 Olympics with Athing Mo and your daughter. So <laughs> you got you got to balance that, but um, you know, by not training really hard, because I do think you were a big talent who didn't train that hard. I mean, you told me one time you ran that 1320 your sophomore year in college in 2012 and what you'd only been running seriously for how many months like yeah so 2012 that's when i ran that 1320 you know like that's what that was two years into into like competitive running you know that was yeah two years into to competitive running because i you know i started running like 2010 early 2010 and just coming into college everything was just falling in place everything was progressing i was running like pbs back to back to back and and uh that was a really good race for me and then since then i got injured and then it was a downhill but i've always i've always been improving every year in year out and uh it's a different type of game and 
that, but also one thing with track and field is always just be patient. Patience is the most important thing. For example, you see Eliud Kipchoge. I think it's 2004 Olympics and 2008 Olympics. That's when he got the bronze and the silver in the 5K. Look at Eliud Kipchoge now. He's big, you know. So you don't have to win gold today to be so that everyone will think you're great. You just you just have to be patient. Your time will eventually come. Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't I hadn't really thought about that. Yeah. How much mileage were you running back in 2012, and how much do you run now? In 2012, I was running about every day, like one hour, one hour twenty. So that like one hour, one hour twenty minutes, one hour ten minutes, one hour ten. Um, that that would make it about. I think I was running about seventy miles a week in college. Uh, coming to pro, I tried to go all the way to like ninety-five to hundred miles per week. Uh, but usually, when the intensity is, is 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 crazy, like maybe I do, I do like I do about seventy to eighty miles a week. So I just keep adjusting based on how I feel. I'm that type of person that I really listen to my body a lot. So sometimes, sometimes I, when the season is it's on, you never see me. I'm always on my bed because the training is more is so intense. And I try to sleep a lot more than than normal, so pretty much that's just me. I try to, I try to just do the the old school way and just do the best I can because, I mean, as I can say, it's it's I'm running clean. I'm trying my best to always to perform. So that's the difference. If I wasn't, if I was cheating my way out of it, I wouldn't. I wouldn't even care, man. I would. You just find me somewhere like partying all night and coming to crash races. But I have to just focus on every little thing. Yeah, you said sleep was a big deal, you know, at 2019 Worlds with the birth of your uh, daughter, Ariana, right? Is that her Yeah, name? yeah. Um, and I was starting to wonder, I'm like, oh, Paul's getting older, maybe. You know, he's not a 5K guy anymore, but you proved us wrong. And then, but, you know, I think sometimes we people think like elite athletes, like you guys are robots. And then this year, you know, you had to deal with the death of your brother, Albert, but like, I mean, that can't be easy. So, I mean, how you performed great all this year did, I mean, how'd you deal with that? I guess is maybe the the simple way to ask it. Yeah, that was really, man, coming from, coming from 2019, 2019. Okay. It's, it's just been crazy, crazy years. Like early 2019, uh, there was an accident, like really, really bad accident that happened like early January. And my brother and a fiance were in it and Stanley Stanley's Stanley Cabernet's sister and my and my sister were in it like in the same accident. It was Stanley's sister was about to lose was close to losing to losing her life. So that was a very, very bad accident because Colorado is like snowing, a lot of snow. And just they were just T-boned and pretty crazy accident. And and all that year, and Ariana was still was still young. All that distractions, there's a championship coming up. 2019 went like that. 2020 shows up. 2020, I'm trying to get in shape, trying to shoot for the Olympics. Man, COVID, Olympics is canceled. 2021. I'm trying to pick, trying to get 
all the best, you know, like everything. Early 2020, I mean, early 2021, I lose my brother again. So um, it's just been like three years back to back to back, like very, very like tough. And when you feel like that, when you think about that, it's, and then you try to put your best, you try to do all you can. And there's just people like, you just see randomly people just bashing you. People just like try to bring you down. I'm like, man, you know, that's, that's not about life, man. Life is about supporting each other. Life is about like bringing each other like up, you know, for example, like I lost my brother, you know, it's, it's just, I don't want people to feel sorry for me. But the thing is, if you cannot say something positive about my life and anything, just, just shut up, you know, just be quiet. You know, that's the only thing I need for now. You know, it's, I don't want those fake, fake people supporting me, but really, really the big part of it is I want the Americans to be behind the Americans and support the Americans. I don't really care what they say, but if you can support your fellow American, just be quiet and, and that's it. That's that's the only thing I'm saying. If you can support your fellow American, man, just be quiet because you don't deserve to be an American then. Because for me, I was born in Kenya, but I feel like I'm more American than them because of what I do for this country the effort that I put for this country and the love that I give to the people of this country. But someone who was born here and you feel like you have a right, you feel like you can, you can bash everyone. You can bash all the people that put the effort to put the, to put America up there on the maps. You know, it's, it's a no brainer, man. Like it's a no brainer for me because it's, if anyone comes, shows up and runs for Kenya, if, if Kevin Durant, LeBron James decide to play for Kenyan basketball team today, man, I'm going to be all over the moon, man. I'm going to be so excited. I'm going to be watching their, their games. But I, I'm i never going to talk like, oh, you go back to your country or like such things, you know, because I know people hate like that. These people who hate like that. And I saw that through like every time I race, these people who try to just look for something small, you know, for example, like. For example, this is a good example. There is a top athlete, really top athlete. So, like, he's been in this game forever, you know? And this guy shows up in... This guy shows up in the cafeteria in Tokyo and is like, oh, Paul, man, uh, you didn't get disqualified? I'm like, hey, man, what? Come on, man. You ain't going to talk about disqualification. Just tell me, like, congratulations or anything. But I just felt like just taking the medal and, and just giving it to him because he feels like he deserves it, you know? Because it's it's those type of things and those type of people that just really pisses me off when it's like... Because for me, I always appreciate everything that people do. But if I don't appreciate it, I just keep quiet. I just try to be quiet. I don't try to... I don't try to show it. But if you're going to come to me and show me the, those type of things, it's... Yeah. So anyways, that's just, yeah. Can, can you elaborate a little bit more on that? I mean, I, earlier or last month on Twitter, you said you tweeted at let's run.com. And I think you feel like some of the negativity is coming from our website. You said you should learn a thing or two from this uplift the runners, uplift the runners and stop spreading the negativity all but love. And I wasn't really sure what you meant about that. I hope you didn't mean me personally or the front page because 
I, the whole reason I drove down to Virginia beach, I spent 24 hours driving there and back there and back six hours at a time to try to promote your races. I felt like they deserved more attention. So what did you mean by that? Was that people criticizing you on the message board? Is that us talking about your racing tactics? What exactly did you mean by that? Daddy, I'm, just a minute. Okay. Please. Just a minute. Please. Okay. I'm talking. I'm talking on the phone. <laughs> Give me a minute, please. Please. All right. Go, go tell mommy and then you come back. Go tell mommy and then come back. Okay. Yeah. So she's back here now. I got distracted on that one, but, um, it's not about like you guys. If I if I if I was if I was uh, you know I like being straight. You know, if I don't if if something uh, I don't like something, I'm just gonna say it straight on. Um, big thing is uh, you know I try to like usually like restaurant is I used to 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 be a big fan of restaurant, but then now it gets to a point that you know like it's. I just feel more, more like, what can I say? Like broken, if I go to a restaurant, than, than being more excited. For example, after the race in Tokyo, I went to a restaurant, and you know, like some comments, I didn't even, I didn't even go deep. I just looked, and I just looked down, because I knew whatever I'm gonna see in there already, like on the boards and everything. I knew that there was something that's going to go on. But the big thing is, let's run, man. Like, when you guys put, when you guys put, like, like, for example, big thing is, like, Paul Chilimo goes home devastated or, like, Centro goes home devastated or, like, Elliot Kipchoge goes home devastated or when you put so, those type of things and you put them on top of, like, when you, like, when you, like, try to pin them on your website that really en en encourages like those type of negativity because if someone sees those type of things if anyone sees anything negative like on top of that they're gonna try create negative stuff stuff so that it can trend there's some truth to that i guess some from my perspective is like i want sports fans to be sports fans so like their favorite team loses there's kind of rivalries but I don't think their whole role of everyone in the forums to be positive. I think at times sports fans and for sure people in Let's Run can be way too negative. Um, with you, I think most people are fans, but then also, you know, you've had, you're a competitive racer. Like you finished the trials in lane four. There's this sort of belief, oh, Paul's going to make it interesting. There'll be contact at the end of the race, that sort of stuff. People are going to talk about that. We can't control what they say. And editorially, we try to be fair. But yeah, coming back to that, you said you were, you're friends with Nicholas Camelli. Like after the race, he was like, oh, Paul should be DQ'd. Like, did you ever talk to him in Tokyo after that? Like, what do you say to somebody like that? Like, this is one of your competitors. Don't worry. Don't worry about Nicholas Camelli. You know, uh, this, th this guy's a sore loser, man. Like, that's what I know about him. And I don't entertain him any anymore. Like, the reason why I even say that to Joshua on the table, on the same table, I was like, Man, I'm gonna go with the medal, man. You guys can decide, you know, because I mean, because Nicholas was there, but because I feel like I feel like I don't know what's wrong, but Nicholas Kimeli always tries to he tries to just be like talk to me, but then next like like be like an hypocrite because always is always doing things that 
really like surprises me because in uh in 2019 in doha i think we had like something big man like it was like he was trying he was about to swing you know you know i'm like bro like <laughs> like you don't get to such an accent and 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 we screwed we stopped we we talked and we finished it and now like every race he was even co- about to cost me in that race because he just like kept like elbowing and kept like doing like crazy if you could watch the race he was all over the place you know all over the place and and then the big part is how do you want me to get disqualified when the, you are the one who pushed me off the rail at least it makes sense if someone else was doing it but it's you who did it clearly like he was is the one who pushed me with the elbow into the into the rail but then it's uh, but then it's i feel like maybe in his mind he thinks like oh this guy is, is a sellout is this type of guy you know maybe i think that's what is in his mind and that's what and and man you know these guys man it's it's it, even there was pre classic there was a guy like a kenyan guy we finished the race and it's like i wish paul I, i'm i'm glad paul didn't win that race i'm like man it's it's just like it's it's i just i'm just i just laugh man when i see such things because they are friends with kimeli and they work together and i mean it is what it is you know when you when you try to when you try to when you try uh put in the you put effort on the negative vibes the negative vibes come back to you if you try to do positive things positive things comes back to you so pretty much you don't know what would happen man you don't know it's god man like i don't even know people think i dove in that race but i feel like i feel like i was meant to medal in that type of race you know and you can't control my destiny if if it's my destiny you can't control it so that's yeah. pretty much what i think and if you're going to show up man if i'm going to get fourth in a race <laughs> Trust me, I'm just going to go home like salty and and take it take it in than talking about disqualification, you know, like that's that's being a loser, you know. If you're going to go directly and try to talk about disqualification so you can medal, that shows a lot of weakness, man. Like I can't say like man, Joshua can be dis- Joshua needs to be disqualified so I get second place or Muhammad needs to be disqualified so I get second place. Man, it's it's not that's not how the game works. Just go out there, push do your best and it's a distance event distance event is that type of event like you start together if you are damn strong that's it you're going to win if you're not strong it's it's a different type of games and my mentality it's it's a different type of mentality just yeah. just no man just no i'm not going to show up in a race i'm not going to fly all the way to tokyo and just come make it easy for them no day forget it no i I think your competitiveness is incredible and it's a big strength, but I also think sometimes people's strength can be a weakness. I mean, in terms of your tactics, I don't know. I've been somewhat critical of them over the years in the sense of like at USA's you fin- you're a way better runner. Let's be honest. I mean, no offense to Woody Kincaid and Grant Fisher, but you're a way better runner than they are. I didn't feel like they could touch you yet. You finished in lane four. And the moment that race finished, I thought two things. One, he better not get disqualified for this. If they follow a complaint, I'm never going to have respect for them again because they could run that race 10 times and they never were going to beat Paul. He's way better than them. But my second thought was, 
honestly, should I text Scott Simmons and tell him Paul had better watch this? He's getting a reputation. And once you get a reputation, he could get DQ'd. And it, I, I just felt like you were very close to getting DQ'd in Tokyo. I mean, when I coached collegiately at Cornell, I had a runner who got disqualified from his biggest win. And honestly, in that race, he didn't do anything. But his past history, people just saw everything differently. So do you think that it's something you need to work on going forward? Has anyone ever taught you about it? Has Scott ever said, hey, Paul, you might not want to finish in lane four. Just you know, run up lane one, and you're still going to beat these guys. The trials was a different type of game. Uh, and you got to remember that the big thing about the trials is I was in the team, but uh, can can Paul Salimo win, you know? And there was a lot of pressure because remember, you remember 2019 what happened, you know, Lopez, Lopez won against me and uh, I didn't want the same type of situation. I just really wanted to make it tough and make sure I win, I get the win. Um, drifting, drifting all the way to lane four, um, I like that actually, honestly, that was not part of my plans before the race started. That was not part of my plans, and that was not like that was just not me. But when the going gets tough, you know, like you just have to do your best. Like mentally, it's a mental game, and it's a different type of game. Woody Kincaid and uh, Grant Fisher, man, those guys were fit. Don't think like I wouldn't think like those guys were just really fit, and it's it wasn't like that uh, easy type of race, and also. Showing up, I mean, that, that that race, I could feel the vibe. They really wanted to get the win. So, so the pressure, just just going into the trials, the pressure and all that just brought all that. And it's just the pressure and everything, pretty much. Paul, my, the babysitter to leave. I got to take over for my daughter. But this stuff is great. So a couple, I just want to leave some parting comments. And Robert, you can finish up. Well, one, like you talking about Nicholas and stuff, I would say, look, that you're not saying only positive things about him, but also I think it's great. Like you create rivalries with people. You know, you, you had the thing last year with Lopez. I hope some of that stuff comes out on the YouTube channel. I mean, young kids will probably eat up the training, but also they just want to know like what you think about other athletes. If you can sort of just, you know, bring some of this out, I think that would be great. Um, I don't know. I'm just looking forward to it. Thanks for talking to me. And Robert, I'll let you finish it up, but thanks, Paul. Yeah. All right. Thanks. Thanks. See ya. Say hi to your daughter. Wait, your daughter's two and a half? Yeah. She's, she's, gotta, uh, she's, gotta... two and, she's two and a half, like two or two years, eight months. Okay. This one's only 16 months. Cece, you got it. She's got Mine's not walking yet. So I got to, you know, Cece, you got it. You'll run with his daughter. Okay. Just follow behind her and kick, try to kick at the end. Okay. All right, thanks. All right, all right, all right. See, all right, see you. Yeah, I'll try to wrap it up soon. I was trying to do thirty minutes. We're almost we're over forty-five. But um, yeah, it's interesting. Wait, yeah, wait, 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 wait! I forgot one thing. I forgot one thing. I got to jump back in. I want to hear more about the story about you almost coming to blows with Nicholas in two thousand nineteen. Was this on? Like, uh, I'm going to just leave the question. Was this on the track in the, in the hotel afterward, or where was it? Uh, this was a. Uh... This was uh, after the this was after the finals. I mean, after the prelims, and a big part of it is like when I lost when I lost my shoes and 
this guy was just like, the goal is just to qualify. And he kept blocking me all the way. I'm like, bro, like, and and the other Kimeli from Belgium, it was like, Paul, just get through here, man. Just go, just go, man. Just get through here. And that was a really good gesture. And I'm really good friends with Kimeli now because it's like a really good gesture. And and when I got back to the, when we were, when we were cooling down, I tried to talk to Nicolas Kimeli. And this guy was like really furious. He was so furious and he was trying to like, I don't know, man, he tried, I don't know if he was trying to swing or what until his, his, his manager, his agent was like, man, you guys need to chill, you know? Because I tried to talk to him and he's like, so pretty much, pretty much, I mean, we usually talk, but sometimes it's like, it's, it's just, you gotta be, you gotta just go race, finish the race and go, that's it, nothing else. Yeah. I try to get you out here. One, one thing though, you did earlier. You talked a little bit about, about about doping. You know, if you're clean, you got to sleep a lot. How, how Kenny's been famous for getting caught a lot of doping recently. How big of a problem do you think doping is in the sport? And I think a lot of people like me think it was really bad 20 years ago and think it's better now. But yet again, we still have a number of prominent people getting popped. So, what do you think about it? Uh big thing is it's getting better now. The system is 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 they more on the hunt now and for example I feel like anyone who was doping in Tokyo it's like it's so risky because for example like I was tested like four times in Tokyo actually they wanted to test me two times in a day I was like wait what it, I think it's a mistake so uh, me just being tested like four times in Tokyo, you know, like, there's probably, like, more people who got even tested more than four times. So, that's the difference. But sometimes it's, there's some performances that you see. There's people running, like, crazy. It's not like they, they're working, they're not working hard. But sometimes it's always, we just don't have to be ignorant, you know? We just don't yeah. assume everything, like, 100% everything. Everyone's doing the right way. Don't be ignorant. Like, and that's the thing with me is everywhere I go, just generally, I try not to be ignorant. I try to do my best and 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 just see who is next to me And because that's what I've learned in the military. You know, and you, not everyone is your friend. Some people can be your enemy. So when you go to war, you just have to be – you just don't go out there and, and just run. You have to be like, you just have to like, see, like, don't assume everything is just, and don't assume everything is just right. Yeah. All right. Well, we were hoping to do 30 minutes. We almost did 45. So it's been, we could keep talking forever, but I think we should, we should shut it off there. We look forward to you getting that gold medal next year. Maybe also the outdoor American record before moving to the marathon to become the second coming of Ellie Kipchoge. But thanks for joining us. and. um Best of luck to you. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate you. And uh, really, really would love to get your support and everything. And also, if you can, share share the link of my... Uh, you can share the link or anything of my YouTube channel. Get the people in there. We try to... I try to... I just do my best. We try to make track and field big. You know, if the athletes don't do it, you know, then it's going to be tough to get people ra- supporting us. So, yeah, pretty much. But... Last but not least, I'd like to say thank you to 
your time. Thank you for your time. Thank you for everything. And thanks to the fans that support me. The support group is all that makes me strong day in, day out. Yeah. Okay, good stuff. Remember, if you're thinking of joining the Supporters Club, do it this week, and 100% of the proceeds will go to the great Jonathan Galt. Let's run.com slash subscribe. Thanks for listening.